salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn show on the internet, the John Campus Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. Me? I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Hide your kids. It's going to be one of those days. First of all, joining me sitting right here is Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing, sir? John, I feel once again I'm next to greatness, or actually between greatness. Good save. Days like Good that. save. Yeah. Good save. <laughs> Suddenly remembered who signed the paycheck. Sitting right beside him, joining us, of course, our special guest today, Mr. Christian Harloff. Did Christian, how you doing? Be honest with me. Did you get lost in that intro a little bit? You were like, you're coming, you're going, coming to you from, where the hell am I? Am no, I no, house? No, you know what? I'm getting a li little bit peek behind the curtain had something to do with what i was talking to the uh, the guys about a little bit beforehand ah, okay. the way the the way the intro is set up yes when they cut to my single shot so so they they cut the first you see the big logo spin then you see the wide shot when they cut to my single shot and i go i am of course john yeah. campia the music cuts off oh. the, the way the scenes are set up so i try to sometimes stretch it out a little bit it was good no it's smooth you can tell you can tell it's smooth you're a showman right 100 percent. i just know you so i was like wait what's going on in the in the dome and something it's good it's good to be back sitting back here of course joining you guys in the live chat ray how you doing christian you're still here huh still here hey that's okay listen all I see, okay, now I see you're, you got the you're rocking the dragon ball shirt which character is that that's this is go tanks right here Go tanks? Yeah, he's a piece of crap. I heard. <laughs> I heard in this in this new series in Dragon Ball Super, he's he's not that great. But you know what? I'm See, gonna I've stick up for my boys. It. Just like I stick up for the Bengals when they're losing, I'll stick up for these guys. You gotta you rep. Know? You gotta represent. Yeah, I gotta represent. You can't just bandwagon things, you. right? I'm with you. All right, sitting beside him, running the show today, of course, is producer Jonathan Voiko. Jonathan, how's it going? Uh, I'm just trying to keep up with all this this snappy banter, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you're working on that Batman movie, so congratulations on oh, that. There's again. that too, but no, I mean, uh, no, nothing. <laughs> all right, guys, listen. Here's how today's show is going to go. We are going to break it down into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then in the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. Here's how that happens. Number one, you got to be watching live. Number two, when we get to the end of our main topics, we'll announce that we're opening up the Super Chats. At that point, that's when you can send in your thoughts, opinions, theories, speculation, questions, whatever, and we will spend the second half of the show addressing those. Be ready to go, though, because we only leave the, the uh, Super Chats open for just a couple of minutes, so make sure you guys are ready to get those fired in. Okay, guys. Also want to let you know that a little bit later today at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we have our next installment of Open Mic. So make sure you guys come on back and join Robert and me for our installment of Open Mic. We hope to see you guys there. Okay, guys, listen, we've got a whole hell of a lot of stuff to talk about here today. So we're going to dive right into it with a couple of off the tops. The first one we're going to start with is this. Now, of course, we've been talking a lot about Netflix lately. Uh, yesterday, we talked about them celebrating their 25th anniversary of being a business. We talked a lot about the three different times they completely changed the landscape of home entertainment. It's an iconic company, but had a bit of a rough year. It's, it's fair to say they've had a bit of a rough year. Uh, they've had some good things happen recently, though, and that's fine. But one of the interesting things that has happened this year was a complete change, of course, when they announced that they would indeed be adding a new tier that will have commercials. It will be an ad-supported level. Now, we got a little bit more information of that coming to us from folks over at Engadget who point out that reports are saying that this new ad-supported level of Netflix 
will cost somewhere between $7 and $9. This is what they had to say. Netflix's forthcoming ad-supported tier could represent a significant discount on the company's existing plans, according to Bloomberg. The streaming giant is considering a monthly price of between $7 and $9. For context, the company's current basic plan starts at $10 per month and does not include HD streaming. So why would you have it? Uh, you can pay as much as $20 every 30 days to access 4K comment. Now, they're going to start rolling this out in a number of territories, they say, by the end of the year. This has proven to be something that works. I know a lot of the, the fan base, including me, will sometimes feel torn about the idea of watching commercials. I mean, I, I mean, I, the first one I got was the Hulu plan that took out all the commercials. Once that happened, I got spoiled. I'll never go back. But for a lot of people, ads and commercials is just another day. I mean, it's, it's no big deal. And if it can save you 10, 12, 14 bucks off the cost of your monthly subscription, maybe it's not a big deal. So that's interesting. And I think the seven to nine dollars, I'll be honest, guys, I was kind of expecting to hear this to be closer to the $4.99 or $5 range with ads, which I think is the Apple Plus subscription without ads. So I was kind of thinking being down there, seven to $9 isn't so bad. But here's the one thing that I don't think we've talked a lot about, which is the fact that one of the big benefits, even for us as fans, of them introducing this ad included tier program with seven to nine dollars a month and then including ads is this one of the things we as fans have been frustrated about with netflix over the years is when real popular shows get canceled and as we've talked about on the show rob what the reason real popular shows get canceled is because once netflix puts something online it don't matter whether 100 people watch it or 100 million people watch it they don't make another set doesn't mean anything because in the old cable network model the more people that watched a show, the higher the ad revenue could be, and hence the more money it made. And so when Netflix and other streamers have a show, they look at, they don't look at how many people are watching. They look at, at how many first-time subscribers are coming in as a result of this program. And if a show hits season two and they realize, okay, everybody who's going to sign up for this show, sign up to our service for the show has already done so, we're not getting any real more benefit and it gets the ax hopefully for us as fans that that might get turned on its head a bit moving forward because if they have this ad supported tier and like everybody in the ad supported tier, it's still crazy to a lot of us that they're not even still thinking about whether or not to do a Sandman season two under the traditional model, it would have been done already. They would have been halfway through shooting the second season already. Maybe with this ad supported program, they can say, Hey, you know what? A lot of people watched it and that actually made us money even without new subscribers. So mm. maybe that can save that. Anyway, Rob, you're hearing about the seven to nine dollars. What do you think about that price point? And what do you think the advantages could be here for for ads for and the people watching them? Well, I don't understand why anyone would want to go back to an ad tier with streaming. Because if I have to see Tom Brady say, let's go <laughs> one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to slip my wrists. But um, you're still mad about that goal line at the Super Bowl, aren't you? Like oh, you are still oh, carrying that oh, around. Oh, man. No, but but in, in all seriousness, I think, you know, seven to nine dollars seems reasonable yeah. i mean that's enough money that i think that it's viable like you pointed out i hope it saves shows because you know john we need that manifest season five. Oh god come on i know I'm, i thought we were gonna talk so i'm gonna be like a snyder man. cut bro and i'm gonna be like you gave us manifest season four but let's go for five no but i in all honesty i think if it could save there have been great shows that um that netflix picked up and they only did one season 
Like there was a Canadian, good Canadian people, made a, a time travel show called Travelers that Eric McCormack uh, was a producer on and was the star of that I really liked. Netflix picked it up, thought it was, they, they took over the ownership of it. They only did one season and it was over. Designated Survivor, which was a show that I quite liked, again, brought it back for one season, one and done. Yeah, because because the strategy was pick it up. All the loyal f- people who watch that show that aren't Netflix subscribers yet, they'll sign up. They did with Lucifer. They they did. They'll with sign Lucifer. up, and then we don't have to go long term with it. But then if they if it, 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 these are a lot of ad tiered people, yeah, and they're watching a lot of Lucifer, they're watching a lot of Manifesto, they're watching a designated survivor. That means oh well, now they actually have an analytic that directly uh, correlates to watch time and money, as opposed to just subscribers. And like you pointed out, I think that's exciting. You know, and I think a lot of people, especially older people that are used to commercials, you know, might be signing up for that when they wouldn't before because they're on fixed income or something. We might get a whole strata of people. Christian, what's your takeaway from all this? There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I mean, there really is. Um, So it's funny to hear you talk about like the Hulu thing, right? Because of that, you never went back. It's the opposite for me. I actually had Hulu with the ads going, I don't know if I'm ever going to do an ad thing. (laughs) It's snack time, baby. Like yeah. during like during ads, I get a little bit of time to do something. I'll run to the kitchen. Oh, yeah, 30 seconds. Thanks for letting me know. And I'll run to the kitchen. I time myself. I come back. It doesn't bother me anymore. Like unless there's like a, if I have to watch something in a certain amount of time, it adds a little bit more time to your watch, right? As That's opposed to, you know, if you know it's a quick 30 minutes it, it, without the ads, it probably turns into maybe 40 minutes, maybe 40, whatever it might be. You just got to be prepared for that. I don't mind it. I think it's a smart business decision because of, Exactly what you're talking about with like Sandman, right? So advertisers are going to come in and go, hey, that show, put more of our stuff on that show. Yeah. Do that. And that's mm-hmm. going to start to save shows like that because now people are going to be buying spots. And the other, there's, there's two sides to look at it also when it comes to what Netflix is probably preparing for. Because I, even hearing this for myself, I'm like, I pay for a lot of things and there's only a couple shows that I watch on Netflix, whether it's Stranger Things, Cobra Kai, um, Sandman, a few other things that I, that I watch. But I'm not like diving in there the way that I dive into uh, Hulu or Amazon Prime or things that way. If I know that I can go down to like $10, $9, $10, I'm going to do it. They have to be prepared that a lot of people who already have the $20 are going to drop. That's preparation number one. But the other good preparation is, okay, but now that people know that we have a cheaper tier, now they're going to come in. That's what they're ultimately preparing for. Us, right, like, yeah. Okay, look, look at what we're doing now. We have ads. You can afford us because competition does two things. It either knocks you out or it makes you stronger. This is their attempt to get stronger. Um, and because they have a lot of competition now, it's not they don't just rule the game anymore. You just brought up. He just brought up something really important. Thank you. You said if advertisers could choose where their ads are going to go yeah. like on a network show, if an advertiser says, hey. We want to, we want to, we want to put our ads on this particular show. Netflix, which has been very opaque in terms of their viewership, is going to have to make all that information available mm-hmm. to advertisers. And to will that affect their deals with studios or talent who weren't getting residuals? If you have an ad based tier and somebody wants to buy, as say one of your shows is making a ton of money on ads. So think of Stranger Things. When Stranger Things comes back, if you can get an I mean, ad, who's not going to want to advertise yeah. on Stranger Things? I mean, if yeah. they, and, and, and not only that, the demographic that they're going for, advertisers are going for, does that mean then that the Duffer brothers are all going to be able to renegotiate for seasons four, five, and six, or whatever, or four and five? That's going to be really interesting mm-hmm. as far as the industry is concerned. Here's the other interesting thing about this. Remember when they had to come out and announce that, hey, we lost a million subscribers. But they didn't sound all that worried. I think one of the reasons they weren't all that worried is because, number one, 
they know they've got this ad-supported cheaper tier coming, and they think they're going to add a lot of people. The second thing that they're doing, of course, a lot of people get upset that Netflix is going to make it harder to pirate, whatever, but they're, they're introducing that thing where you can add an additional home for, what was it, $3, $4? They're going to count those as subscribers. Yeah. So between that three to four dollars, yeah, okay, your son is isn't living at home anymore. He can still use your account for an additional three dollars a month, and these people can sign up for the ad support tier for let's say split the difference eight dollars a month. They weren't terribly worried about the losing a million because they think they're going to add three million mm -hmm. next quarter or or whenever they roll these things out. So it's really interesting. Anyway, guys, question is for you: What do you think about this? Do you think for an ad-supported, watching some commercials level of Netflix that's between seven and nine dollars? Do you think that's an acceptable price range? How do you feel about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's do another off the top here. And that one is this. You know, we were we just did our Game of Thrones after show yesterday. The episode I thought was fantastic. I'm really loving this series so far. But obviously, I think one of the most memorable scenes of that episode that people are talking about an awful lot is the scene at Dragonstone. When you've got Damon and Otto's you know, I wouldn't say armies. It's more like the sharks and the jets <laughs> kind of meeting on the wall. The dragons show up. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, Game of Thrones shoots a lot of location in Europe. I was totally caught off guard by this. I knew that House of the Dragon was going to be using some virtual sets in their show. But we found out, and if you could bring up that tweet, HBO put out this thing that shows they actually shot this. And Risa Fons was is, is narrating over this. They actually shot the Dragonstone sequence in the volume. Now, it's one, it's not the exact same one that Mandalorian uses. Warner Brothers built their own based on the same technology. So they licensed it out, built their own thing. And look at that. That looks like it's real. Even behind the scenes, that looks like it's real. That totally looks like they're on location somewhere. And Risa Fon said something really great. It's like, you know, when... When you're actually out on a lo certain location, you want the sunset a certain way. Well, then you got like 15 minutes to shoot it because then it totally changed. In here, it's everything. I got to tell you guys, I was floored when I found out that this scene was shot in a volume. I obviously, I knew some of the elements in it were probably CGI, but I thought for the most part, they were probably on location somewhere. When you looked at the landscapes and the sky, look at that shot. Like, I, I was floored by it. <laughs> Christian, you had a chance... To see this, you heard this volume. What jumps into your head when you see that? Well, the first thing that jumps into my head is Jonathan's got to check his notifications. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, but besides that, it, the fact that you have the, the volume, and I think that what we have seen, I think the Mandalorian uses it very well. I think that in some cases, Star Wars relied on it a little bit too much, um, especially sometimes in, in Obi-Wan. But I think that if you can use it in a balance and you can use it the right way and find the right technique, the right form, and to shoot it that particular way, it's showing the possibility of what it really can do. And I think that even though people are like, oh, they, people rely on it too much. Yeah, but they haven't. It's, it's still a fresh technology. And as yeah. people start to master it, clearly. It's getting better. It's getting better and better because this was, I mean, when you told me that, I was like, really? And then as you look at it, like, I, I can see it. And you can see how they're shooting it. And you have Recyphons kind of going through it. And you're like, oh, that's, that's fascinating. But I love the way that they used it. I love the fact that they're not relying on it and they're using it when they when they need to. Certain things that they think, well, we can use the volume here, but let's use relocation here and right. do that. A mix. Don't rely on the whole series on it, but a mix. And I, th I don't know if Andor is using any of it. Probably they, yeah, they said they're not using uh, it at all. Right. Yeah, Rob, what do you think? Well, you know, again, this shows it. All, it's all about planning and direction. 
Because if you look, it's what's really interesting is you've got big, wide, establishing shots of Dragonstone. Dragons in the air. But when the armies, well, when the Dragons two sides, the when, when Damon shows up and Otto is there, they're parked. They're parked in place. And there's a confrontation where they're still. So the camera is not moving around. They're not mm -hmm. walking anywhere. So they can keep cutting to wide shots. And they can use, so you never know. You're completely fooled because you're not paying any attention. The background's the way it would look. It's mm -hmm. out of focus because those guys are parked in place. And when they decided, when they prevised this and however they decided to shoot this, because I'm sure this was all prevised, it was ingenious. Because look at that. There's no volume. You've got a, a dragon flying. But they when they've got the that people shot. there, awesome. but the people aren't moving. And it was a genius yeah. way to do it because that's how you use the volume. As opposed to Vader and Obi-Wan playing hide-and-go-seek. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the thing. If people are moving around a lot, then then the, the illusion is a little bit shattered. But this was – I don't know who directed this. It was Miguel Shapotnik or whatever. It wasn't Matt Reeves. I can tell you that. <laughs> this was a, a genius piece of direction in terms of knowing how to use the volume effectively and using effects technology. I agree. And the last thing on it is also is that what, going exactly what Rob just said is that because that scene was so powerful – and because that scene, you're so focused on the actors and the dialogue and everything happening that as all this amazing technical stuff, uh, visual stuff is happening, it, you just ac accept it. Yeah. Because it blends into what's happening on screen inside of the dialogue, inside of the characters. So it was really a perfect blend of all of it put together. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think the show is, is absolutely incredible thus far. Yeah. And I, I think you nailed it with it's the idea of mixing it. Yeah. They, they're using live shot, live shots, practical sets, and then mixing that stuff in like visual <clears> volume when you have to. Anyway, guys, questions for you. What do you think about that? I thought it looked spectacular. How did you feel about it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys, before we move into our main topics here, we're going to now head into the new segment of the show, I should say, brought to you by Mint Mobile our friends over there, and our hotline question of the day. Every day, we will take a hotline question from you guys. If you have a question you'd like to have us have on the show, you can call anytime, 951-268-4259. Leave your voicemail there, and maybe you might hear it here on the hotline segment. So right now, what is in our Mint Mobile hotline question today? Hey, John. This is Kyle, and my question is in regards to what you were talking about with Game of Thrones, the theme and the Star Wars theme being used. When do you think we will hear the Star Wars theme again? Because if we're not getting, say, another episode like episode 10 for a number of years, do you think it will be quite a while until we hear the iconic Star Wars fanfare? Thank you, and have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in. And yeah, we were talking about that the other day about, you know, with episode two of House of the Dragon, it was revealed that they're using the Game of Thrones theme, which some people got irked at. But to us, at least in here, we talked yesterday, it was like, no, this makes sense. This is what you should have. Because when I saw Rogue One for the first time in theaters, I was like, where's my Star Wars theme? Anyway, so I thought it was a great, a great use of that. When will we see? Because it, it felt like for a while they made the decision that not using the main Star Wars fanfare was what they were going to use as their cue to separate the episodic Star Wars movies from the anthology Star Wars movies, for lack of a better term. And I understood that, but I never agreed with it. Um, I always thought they should be using the opening crawl. You brought up the crawl the other day, Rob. The opening crawl 
and the fanfare because that immediately it's like a Pavlovian response. It's like smelling when you're walking down a street and you smell a certain pie and it immediately takes you back to your mom's house or whatever, but it just does that. Now I get when you have a star Wars show or movie that is a central character specific, AKA Mandalorian, where you might want to give that character their own individual theme, but for collective movies like star Wars, like rogue one, for example, I really do think they should. Are they going to move back to the Star Wars theme before an episode 10 comes out, whenever that is into the future. I'm going to say they will. I, I think they will. I, I think they've they tried it the one way. I think they know it really doesn't work. Even going back to the IMAX and watching Rogue One again this week, which was an awesome experience. It felt wrong when the movie started and you don't hear the Star Wars fanfare. And I think now that they're even seeing Game of Thrones do it and carrying it on and seeing the response that that most people are giving it, I think we will, but I mean, dude, I can't even answer you right when the next Star Wars movie is going to be, let alone when we're going to hear the Star Wars fanfare. So I think it will return, but honestly, I, I have no idea when. Christian, I know we've talked about this years ago, like when Rogue One came out and all that kind of stuff. Do you think they'll return to the Star Wars fanfare outside of a episodic movie? I have a bad feeling about this, my friend. <laughs> uh, because uh, it's one of my, you know, from... Our many years working together, I'm a I'm a I'm a music. The music is everything for me in, in movies and TV and all of it. Um, it was sorely missing in Obi Wan, in 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 my opinion. And and every interview you saw, whether it was Deborah Chow or the, or the composer, it was like, well, we wanted to kind of as you just said, John, we wanted to separate and move past it. And John Williams has to kind of like move past it. And they have been doing this. But the one thing that no one ever talks about, the best version, again, we were just talking about before with balance blend. Rebels, Kevin Kiner, this, who composed, did a lot of original music for a lot of the characters, but there's tons of the John Williams themes in there. When mm. Vader showed up, yeah. you got that Empire theme. And it wasn't like, well, this isn't the Vader that you know from Empire and now all that kind of the, the jargon that they gave the reason for it, which was silly. Well, he's not he's not there yet, so you're going to get it right at the end. It's like, no, it's like if you watch any of those fan cuts that they did, I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of those edits that they did for Obi-Wan. Oh, I loved they it. They were great. And they so loved it. And so even so Kevin Smets, who also did one and, and did a really great one, everyone that I saw did this, but Kevin did it, I thought it did it really well, was that when Obi-Wan goes to catch Leia, the Force theme plays. And as you said before, like that's that pie smell. It's like, oh, I'm in the moment. It's a great moment, but you're so much more in the moment with that impact of the th of the th song. I don't think they're going to do it because I think that Lucasfilm does this weird thing where they put their foot down. And go, this is our decision. We're sticking with it. Even when it's like, look at Game of Thrones. Like you said, I was thrilled. I, I agree with you guys 100%. Now, if it was specific, if that Game of Thrones theme would have been spe specific for the Starks, every time the Stark showed up and then they played it, it's like, it's a Stark theme. Right. What are you doing? This is more of a Westeros no, this, theme. This is a Westeros theme. That's exactly right. And that's why you can play that. That should be played any single times because they hinted at it in the first episode it was there yeah the but Thrones. now it's like this is game of thrones so anytime we have a game of thrones that's our theme the same reason to be honest with you i think that john williams superman theme is so iconic i loved when they used it in in superman returns mm -hmm. right yeah and i and i would be okay if they brought it back and i think that because that's that's his theme that's and i think that they should do that more with star wars they should and as you said with mandalorian you you, you new things i think what they did with ludwig and the co combination 
I think that they should absolutely go back to their themes. I think that Star Wars music is missing sorely. I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. You know, it's funny. We brought this up yesterday. It went, being back, I forgot about this totally, but going back to the theater to watch Rogue One again, they don't have the Star Wars theme at the beginning. But how does every Star Wars movie end? Screen goes black and then... Right? They did do that for the end of Rogue One, but they didn't do it there. Anyway, Rob, I think we all feel the same way that they probably should bring that Star Wars thing back, but will they? And if you think they will, how long do you think we got to wait till it comes? Uh, here's the thing. You know, we were talking about this the other day, and I said if they do a movie like a solo, you know, or like The Mandalorian, the Star Wars theme isn't really, I don't think it really works because it's about The Mandalorian. An individual. The Mandalorian you needs want their theme. Cause, yeah, because yeah, they, their theme. But Rogue One should absolutely have had, even the opening of Rogue One, mm. the only thing I dislike about that movie when it says Rogue One, the title turns in the frame, it looks lackluster. I mean, it looks unfinished. It's jarring, too. Yeah, it really is jarring. Like, wait, what? And everything else about that movie, if anything needed the Star Wars theme and a crawl, that movie did. And, and I mean, that's a minor criticism. But I do think that they, um, that they need, I, I mean, the next Star Wars movie, I don't care what the next Star Wars movie is, it needs the Star Wars theme. Because if we don't get the Star Wars theme there, where are we only going to hear it in video games? You know, and that would be sad. It's like, look, I'm, we're all going to see you going to see John Williams at the Bowl this weekend. Uh, I'm not going this weekend. No, I'm no. going this weekend. You're going this weekend. I'm going this weekend. Got to yeah. see John Williams. Who knows when we're going to hear that theme again? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I'll, t I'll tell you something. What's really, really interesting. I don't know if I, I can say this. It's, I've been told I can say this. Say it. Say it. Star Wars of oh, Star Wars. Star Trek Picard season three has completely revamped its music. Oh my. It's all classic Star Trek, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner. It's amazing. And you go, why haven't they been doing that? And it changes the tenor of everything. And Rogue One used a lot of those themes within the, within the score. And so did Solo. Use classic, like when they're going through the asteroid field mm -hmm. and all that. And you wonder, well, why take some and not the others? You know, it's funny, we were because we were talking about, I can see like with Mandalorian, that's an individual person. He has his own individual thing. You're talking about the Starks. They have their own yeah. thing. That's why I think even if in Game of Thrones, when the Jon Snow spinoff mm -hmm. comes, I won't be surprised, nor will I have a problem with, if they have a different opening theme because it's specifically a Jon Snow. Well, and he's not in Westeros. I, still, Jon Snow I still think it's Game of Thrones, though. But, that's another, but the other thing that I wanted to bring up um, before we move on is that you, when the whole thing was going on with Perlmutter and, and Feige, where Perlmutter didn't want to pay the composers and all that, and they changed up the composers, the Avengers, the, the sec, Ultron didn't have the theme, it wasn't as powerful. And then when that theme came back, it's like, dun, 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 dun. When it came, yeah. you're like, yes, because it finally came back, and you're seeing them fight together like trying to move it around was, ah, they don't care we care and we care in it and it's synonymous with the tones that you've set up in the past yeah plus we all grew up with these films you know and the way the way they use iconic themes at moments you talk about ultron somebody just dropped a, a thing on ultron where they have the battle yeah Did I, you see I, that? I retweeted it yeah yeah and maybe that's where i got it from yeah. where you hear that the that avengers theme when they're when it's yeah. spinning around and, all, and i was like whoa yeah. changes so much changes it tremendously all right, guys, question is for you. Our mid-mobile hotline question of the day asking, when do we think we'll hear that Star Wars theme again? Do you even think we should? Whatever your guys' thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, we're now going to move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, that's easy. 
you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campion Show. With that down, Rob. What is our first main topic today? Our first main topic today comes from Jack Drees. In 2019, Honey Boy, which is written by one of the film's stars, Shia LaBeouf, released to the public. It was my favorite Amazon original movie at the time of seeing it. I'm incredibly disappointed by LaBeouf, who revealed that the film, which he once claimed was based on his toxic relationship with his father, was exaggerated. Not only does this sully a powerful story, but it feels outright shady to say the least. Thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in. And listen, right around that time, Shia LaBeouf had two key movies come out. One was Honey Boy and one was Peanut Butter Falcon. And in my opinion, I thought they were both outstanding. I loved both those movies. Yep. And Shia LaBeouf showed that whatever else he's got going on in his life, he's a damn good actor. I mean, love or hate him, there's no taking away. The guy's an incredibly talented performer and a great actor. Now, one of the big things, of course, surrounding Honey uh, Honey Boy was, of course, the fact that it was supposedly, well, he never called it autobiographical. It was supposedly kind of auto. And he implied a number of times as much as this is kind of based on my experiences. He went so far as to play his own father in, in the movie. And again, the movie was fantastic. And now it sounds like uh, maybe it wasn't really so much based on anything in reality. Uh, he was just basically uh, on John Bernthal's uh, podcast talking to John Bernthal and he revealed a whole bunch of stuff talked about a whole bunch of stuff but one of the things was Honey Boy now this report comes to us from Cinema Blend who write the following they said this part of what made Honey Boy such a powerful viewing experience was because of how much Shia LaBeouf put himself in the project on top of writing the screenplay and embodying uh, one father's uh, try this again embodying one father's seemed like an exercise in both therapy and acting but it turns out that what we saw on screen wasn't necessarily accurate to what happened at the time. Uh, at the time, LaBeouf was a Disney star. LaBeouf write, said the following, I wrote this narrative, which was just fucking nonsense. My dad was so loving to me my whole life. Fractured, sure. Crooked, sure. Wonky, for sure. But never was not loving. Never was not there. He was always there. And I'd done a world press tour about how fucked he was as a man. Uh, that comes to us from Shia LaBeouf. Now, look, Shia LaBeouf has been doing a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if I want to call it soul searching recently, but he's been like kind of cleaning out his own closets lately and, and talking about this stuff. And he goes on more talking about, you could clearly tell he was a little bit disappointed in himself for what he had done at that time. How do I feel about it looking back at the movie and how does it change my perception of the movie? I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't change my perception of the movie one bit. I, I, I go into every movie, even ones that completely say right on the poster, based on a true story. Well, based is a loose term. And influenced by real events is a real loose term. I often tell people, if I want an accurate history lesson, I will watch a documentary. Otherwise, I expect every movie that I go into is taking a lot of liberties. I expect every movie I go into is going to have to some degree, an element of fiction, if not a whole hell of a lot of fiction into it. I go into a movie to see a good movie, and I judge movies personally based on their own merits. 
Was it a good movie? Was I engaged by the characters? Did I feel something? Did I experience something? And how did I feel when I walked out of the theater? Honestly, is it a little shady hearing that Shia LaBeouf was kind of passing it off as based on a true story and then now finding out it wasn't? Sure, I guess. But it doesn't really change my personal memory of the movie itself because nothing in the movie has changed. I'm sure a lot of people feel a lot of different ways about it and all of them probably legitimate, but that's just how I feel about it. Rob, you hear about this, Shia LaBeouf saying, you know what, my dad was actually a really loving guy. What was in the movie is pretty much fiction. How do you feel about that revelation and does it change the way you look at that movie? No, I, you know, Hitchcock, I think, once said that, that good drama was life with all the dull bits cut out. And I think that in this particular case, you know, all the good stuff that happens, like when your dad's nice to you, uh, what what good's that in a movie? What good is that in a narrative? And and like you know, he wasn't just playing off of of his relationship with his father, but he was playing up probably a lot of families, the dynamic of show parents, and he probably knew a lot of people whose parents were like this was an amalgamation. And I never took it as rote history, you know. It was it was not it, it was dramatic, and like you said based on a true story, loosely based on a true story, inspired by a true story, because the basis of it was true. Shia LaBeouf was an actor and he had a father that he had to deal with, like everybody does, you know, and there were, it was about that relationship. But it doesn't, it's still a good movie. Like, however he went and tub-thumped it on the, on the, on the festival route or on the, on, the, on the tour that he had to do to promote the film, so what? I mean, the movie is the movie. The movie, the movie exists in a vacuum unto itself. Was the film good? Did it move you emotionally? And if so, good movie. Christian, what do you think? The Doors was exaggerated. The James, the James yeah. Brown movie was exaggerated. Bohemian Rhapsody was exaggerated. They're all exaggerated, for sure. The, the viewer's um, perception of it, though, is accurate in the fact that, yeah, maybe so, but he was passing off that this is really what went down. And as you said, maybe so. It doesn't change. I agree with both of you guys. It doesn't change the movie. I actually really enjoy the movie a lot. But the other thing that we're not looking at, too, is we don't know the conversations that happened between Shia and his dad after that. He's yeah. like, dude, listen, I know it might have been rough, but we've had some good nights afterwards, right? Help me out. Throw me a bone. Say something nice about me in some mm -hmm. interviews. Like, yeah, you know what? The movie's over. I'll say And I'm not saying this has happened, but he could say, yeah, it was all bullshit, even if it was true. To try to get his pops a little bit more everywhere I go, people are saying you're a real asshole to your son. You know, can you maybe uh, well, can you maybe help me out? Is it like, yeah, look at that I've... bus? It's, it reminds me of the one you threw me in, hundred <laughs> percent. <Right. Yeah. laughs> and so so he's just like, help me out. The movie's over. You know, can you say that some of that's the true? Yeah, it's fine. It's it's doing okay in rental. You know, doing <laughs> <laughs> okay in rental. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Did you even see Honey Boy? Uh, if so, what did you think of the movie? And does this revelation actually change the way you see the movie itself? Maybe it changed the way you see Shia LaBeouf a little bit, but does it change the way you see the movie? Maybe yes, maybe no. Whatever you think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. Rob. What is our second main topic today? Well, it comes from Hero Zone. Warner Brothers is, of course, shopping the new Batman animated show along with the new Looney Tunes films to other streamers for cash. Well, it didn't take long as there is a bidding war for Batman. Netflix and Apple are both looking at it. One of the other bidders is none other than Disney. If they get it, they're expected to put it on Hulu in America and Disney Plus everywhere else. Batman on Disney Plus? <laughs> Disney may end up with the Looney Tunes films also. If they bid on them, the bidding Batman war has begun. 
All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Hero Zone. Okay, so a couple things for context here. Of course, Warner Brothers had a couple of animated projects in production that were destined to be on HBO Max. However, they decided that HBO Max wasn't really the home for it. It's not what they want their identity to be. So they've canceled putting them on HBO Max, but they did not cancel the shows. They are still producing the shows Warner Brothers is. They're just going to shop it out to other networks, much like what Sony does with a lot of their content. They shop it out to other people for cash because that's what the business does so batman the cape crusader which a lot of people got excited about when we first saw our kind of our concepts of it at i believe it was the last d23 when they uh that mess of a d23 or uh uh not d23 fandom fandom, fandom that mess of a fandom but it looked really intriguing and it had a lot of flavor of the original batman the animated series which got some people excited unsurprisingly there are suitors for this show, that they would like to have it. Now, I would fall short, reading the reports, I would fall short of calling this a bidding war. Uh, really what the reports are saying is that there are several interested parties. And you know, you're looking at Netflix, which I think would be a good home for it. Apple TV is also among the front runners. Hulu is mentioned. Hulu is mentioned. I have a very, very difficult time believing Disney would even want a DC character on their stuff. But I mean, because in North America, we have a very clear distinction between Disney Plus and Hulu, but in other international markets, that distinction isn't really there. So maybe that would make them not want it at all, or who knows, maybe it would make them want it even more. Yeah, going, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Batman's in our house now. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Really, I don't see that happening though. I, I think really the most logical homes for this, beyond Paramount Plus, beyond uh, Peacock, which I also heard are interested in this, but I, I think really the two most logical homes for this would be a Netflix or would be an Apple TV plus. It would kind of be Apple TV plus's first animated feature series that they would have on there, which and would be kind of a, a feather in their cap for that, especially if the series is good. Um, but I, I actually think Netflix, I actually think Netflix is where this is going to live. And I think that's where it's going to have its access to its biggest audience. And I think people are going to like it there. I, Rob, you hear about this. What do you think about the situation? Where does Batman the Cape Crusader end up? Well, I think I think Netflix is probably a good bet because they have a very deep animated catalog. And they've said that they wanted to pull back production of their own animated shows. So why not acquire more? Because they do have a family audience. They have a huge, I mean, whether it's Arcane or Dota Dragon's Blood or the animated Which series. Which show was that? What was that last one you mentioned? Dota, Dragon's Blood, season three, available now. And whose name do we see on the credits as they roll Oh, that would on? be mine. Nice. <laughs> okay, just, so, yeah, I just want to point that out. Uh, but um, <laughs> but no, they, they have, thanks for that. But they've got anime, they've got all kinds of animation, and Batman would fit right in. And of course, you're not supporting, I mean, like you said, Batman can't be on Hulu, can't, can't associate DC characters with Disney. Unless there's something going on that we don't know. <laughs> don't, that's, that's just a joke. That doesn't mean anything is happening over there. <laughs> but no, I think that's a good place for it to go. And Apple too. I mean, I, I'm sure Apple would like to have more prestigious, more family animated fare on their, on their channel. I, I mean, here's the other question about the Hulu thing though, because I know that's the one that's going to pique most of our interest. The, there's two questions actually. One is, would Disney really want a DC property on their network? Maybe absolutely not. Maybe absolutely. But the second question is, would Warner Brothers allow <laughs> yeah. Batman to be on that network? Anyway, you're looking at this. What do you think, Christian? Uh, this is, I mean, I absolutely think Disney would be like, hey, who, the Batman's available. Which one? The one with Val Kilmer? No, <laughs> not, not that one. An animated one. Oh, yeah, stick it on Hulu. 
Sure. It's like uh, they absolutely because it's like it's like that Vince McMahon. Oh, yeah. Grab some WCW wrestlers. Let's throw them in there. Right. We're we're on top. Show them one more time. Warren Brothers is hurting right now. Put it. Of course, they would want to do that. At least that's what I think. But I think that you can't let it go to Hulu. You can't. You just if you're Warner Brothers, I don't care how much you need cash. I actually think it's going to go to Apple. I think because Netflix right now also trying to get their, their with, as we just talked about in the previous story, trying to get some more money back too. They're going to buy other properties. They're going to buy other shows and stuff too. And maybe they, this is something That's that helps. That licensing other content is kind of Netflix's forte. It for, is. For over a decade. And this is how it was done before everybody had a streaming platform, right? Whether it was back in the day when you would say, okay, here are movies. Oh yeah, well that will go to HBO for a little bit. That'll go to Showtime sometimes. We'll spend some money there. We'll do that. That's what, that's how you made your money, right? So, Warner Brothers is just in a position where they can't just put everything on their streaming. They need to license it out. But I think Apple or Netflix are probably the two best bets. I don't think you can, you, you just can't do that because if Warner Brothers ever gets into a place, let's say their movies start really tanking and they have to sell off properties the way that, you know, Fox did. The day that Disney says, hey, we're going to start doing DC, oof. That you can't let that happen. That's a sonic shift. Yeah, you, you, can, you I, can't no, let that happen. That's that's just a line you just no, won't be. You can't let that cross. happen. But oh my god, if it happens, no, you can't. Wow, be, you just be, can't. Yeah, I, I agree with yeah. you. I totally agree that, with you. But look at what happened again when I bring up Vince McMahon when when it took over that WCW WWF war back in the day was like the best thing for wrestling, and then he took it over and it did, kind of declined after that because there was no competition. There was nothing else too. DC needs to be with Warner Brothers. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Where would you like to see Batman Caped Crusader end up? Maybe you have no interest in it at all. Maybe you're dying to see it. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that all down, and before we move into our next topic, we're going to take a second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's show, our friends at Stamps.com. Guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this episode, Stamps.com. Guys, you know the holiday season has a way of sneaking up on us, and we are never as prepared as we think we are. And if you're a small business owner, you know how important it is to get ready for the insane holiday season. And even if you just got a lot of family or friends you're going to be shipping stuff to, now's the time to get ready. Luckily for us, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life a whole lot easier. Because Stamps.com is your one-stop shop for all of your shipping and mailing needs. Get access to the USP and UPS services you need to run your business right from your computer. Because with inflation on the rise, every single dollar counts. Protect your margins with major discounts on USPS and UPS rates up to 86% off. Stamps.com offers a stress-free solution for everyone. Use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and a printer. And if you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. So get out ahead of the holiday chaos issue. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with the promo code CAMPIA for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code CAMPIA. And thank you to our friends at Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Hey guys, remember... The links to all of our sponsors and the promo codes with the great deals are all down in the description of this video. And when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting the show. So thank you to everybody and to our sponsors. All right, with that down, let's go on to main topic number three. Rob, what is our third main topic today? Wally W says, it is being reported that Legendary is looking for a new studio partner with Sony and Paramount the leading contenders. 
This would mean it is likely the MonsterVerse and future Dune projects would be leaving Warner Brothers if Legendary finds a new home. Can Zaslav pull a Papa Iger and save this relationship? Or is WB set to lose one of their most consistent production partners? Legendary Pictures is I often heard referred to as the what is the the secret fifth or something like that. I can't remember the term they use for them, but they are a major production company making major motion pictures that we often associate with Warner Brothers and sometimes other partners that they have worked with. But it, they're legendary pictures, and like just recently, their two biggest hits, Warner Brothers' two biggest hits that happened during the pandemic era, both came from Legendary, and the idea for Warner Brothers at least of not having Legendary as a partner is crippling to be honest with you but they know this has been a situation that has been around for well over a year and a half now that legendary was going to be unhappy and now the current existing deal is running out and once it's out what's going to happen well let's go over to the folks who have this to say over at deadline and they said the following legendary entertainment is said to be eyeing a move from its on again off again home at warner brothers as it deals with that studios uh, and the expired let me try this again. As it deals with that studio expired recently, Deadline has confirmed Sony and Paramount are said to be in the mix with the former a frontrunner. Warner Brothers also has a new deal on the table for Legendary, which was previously at Universal and before that at before at Warner Brothers. Reps for Legendary and Warner Brothers declined to comment. There was a kerfuffle with Warner Brothers during the whole Jason Kalar-led project Popcorn that put Dune in theaters and on HBO Max. But the studio has since committed to Dune Part 2, currently shooting in Jordan, and Kalar is gone. Both legendary titles, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Dune, were the highest-grossing movies worldwide under the Warner Media HBO Max day-and-date experiment last year. Okay, so, situation. Legendary has this great deal and great arrangement with Warner Brothers. They make the movies. Warner Brothers, you know, kicks in some of the financing as well. Warner Brothers distributes it. Everybody makes money, and there was great joy in the kingdom. Problem came when going back to the pandemic, Jason Kalar, when he was still the head of Warner Brothers, made the decision that will live in infamy to take all the movies that they have and they're going to drop them all on streaming. Now, of course, this was in pure violation of a lot of agreements that they had in place with various production companies, directors, producers, and things like that. And they never told anybody they were doing it and everybody found out about it after the announcement was made. One of the most pissed off parties was Legendary because they paid for those damn movies. And a lot of the money that they were gonna see would be as a result of what it makes at the box office. It eventually went to litigation and Warner Brothers had to settle with Legendary uh, before it went to trial and they never disclosed how many hundreds of millions of dollars they probably had to pay Legendary. Uh, in the meantime, much like their relationship with Christopher Nolan, the relationship with Legendary got fractured. Didn't really mean anything because they had a current existing deal. That deal is now expiring. And Legendary, like LeBron James at the end of his run with the Cleveland Cavaliers, has options. And they have suitors. They have people coming after them that would love to join their situation. Now, one of the things that's important to point out here is one of the places Legendary may actually end up at is Warner Brothers. And I'll be honest with you, I will be surprised if they don't. I, right now, I kind of, the, the way everything I'm looking at, I'm thinking they're going to re-up their deal with Warner Brothers. This is new leadership now that they have in place. I think they're probably going to establish themselves and just stay where they are. But there are other serious players because aside from them, listen, with all the success Sony has had over the last couple of years, they've got to be an enticing partner 
for them at this point. Paramount, after, you know, Top Gun and the influx of $1.5 billion into their coffers, I mean, that's got to look like an enticing partner. And you know what? In business, every once in a while, just changing it up a bit may not be a bad thing. They didn't always work with Warner Brothers. Uh, they may work with them again in the future, but maybe they don't have to work with them right now. I kind of see it re-upping, staying with Warner Brothers, but there are a lot of other options here, Rob. What do you think is going to happen with Legendary? Well, I mean, they have two movies. The movies that hit big during the pandemic, those sequels are being made right now. Yeah. Godzilla versus King Kong 2. And then, of course, Dune 2 is shooting, as I said, in Jordan. Um, look, and Legendary was able to bring in what they did with Warner Brothers is bring in a lot of money. You know, they were co-financing. They weren't just bringing in a little bit of money. So they did the Nolan Batman movies. They did Superman Returns. They did a lot. They did Pacific Rim. Um, and they they got really stung by what <laughs> happened by getting this day and date thing shoved down their throats. They didn't even know it was happening. It was a unilateral decision that was made without their pro tip. Not a good move. You know, if somebody's paying for your movies, uh, you don't tell them later that, hey, you know what we decided to do? Destroy your profit margin. I mean, when you're doing that, they're, they're, the people they're getting money from expect a certain return on their investment. Legendary tells them what to expect. And when somebody screws up that, that's hard to come back from. But like you, Warner Brothers is Warner Brothers. And Paramount is not Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, it looks like under David Zaslav, they're stabilizing things. They've made some moves subsequently, uh, bumping up House Party and bumping up Evil Dead into a theatrical marketplace that shows that maybe- And Blue Beetle. And Blue Beetle. And and so there is, uh, I think, new management there that's willing to work with them if they can get past all that. But Legendary's right to be gun-shy. I, I just think that Warner Brothers is probably the best place for them. But then again, that's me talking out of my ass, and I know nothing about the personalities involved and who's making what deals and, and where where is Legendary's financing now? Because you know, know Sony's going to put together a hell of a pitch. You know they're going to put together a good pitch. Anyway, Christian, you take a look at this. I mean, it's, you know, contracts end. People sign new deals. Can you see them staying with Warner Brothers right now? Because it's, it, it, like, as much as I'm bullish on where Warner Brothers is right now. The reality is it's a brand new regime, which means there's no track record here yet. The future looks pretty uncertain. With Sony and Paramount, you may have a better idea with what you're getting. So I don't know. What do you think happens here? Look, this is where your boy Zoloft has to step up. And this is where this is this is where he's gotta he makes he makes a break, right? Like it, it is it's one of those moments as we talked about. You can take that axe, swing it around, cut whatever you want, because what that's what can you build? What can you keep? What can you build? What can what kind of relationships because because <laughs> Because there's people. That's right. Hey, listen, man. We're, we're, I'll, I'll start saying your name. If you, if you start, you tell me he doesn't watch this show. I'll tell you what. If you start locking down, if you, if you lock down this deal, then maybe you know for a few shows, I'll, I'll call you by your name. But like, but like right now, he's just cutting stuff. That's easy to do. That's easy to do. It's threatening. But but this. But I'm saying though, he's got a shot though for real. Like to, to then say because you and I talked about this off air last time. Yeah. If he's able to then say, okay, well, look, yeah, I did all that, but watch how good I am in a room with this, and I just secured Legendary. I just brought them back because I can go in there and go, that wasn't me that did that. That was the other guy. I'm going to do this for you guys. Under my regime, I'm going to make sure that we do this for you. I'm going to make sure that your movies do this, and because they, they are. They're golden child over there right now, as you said. So you got to take care of them, but it also, if he goes in that room and he loses them, that is a testament to his leadership. And I'm going, because they could, be, they could be looking around and going, what the hell is this guy doing? Or they can go like, hey, we like what he's doing. We want to hear him out. I think Paramount's got to make a massive play for this because Paramount really only has Tom Cruise. 
right? That's like the, they have the Mission Impossible. They have Top Gun, obviously, but they've got Tom Cruise. They have the Transformers too, which we'll see how that. We'll see does. how it does. Yeah. I mean, after Bum- Bumblebee, which I thought was the best was Transformers great. out of all of them, didn't do very well because for some reason they just called it Bumblebee and not Transformers Bumblebee. But um, that's part. And then they have this new one coming out. Maybe it does well, but. Still, you need something else. And if you can get something fresh, and not only those big popcorn movies, like something like Dune's a big movie, obviously, but it's layered. And it's got a lot of, it's, it's just, it's a fascinating science fiction film and, and, and two movies. So if you can get that, you can get those movies, you can bring in that, those creators. Paramount needs it. Sony's got the money to do it. Paramount, I guess, does too now with Maverick and everything too. It's interesting. I agree with you. I think Warner Brothers will wind up keeping them. But he, he really needs to make this happen to, to if under his regime, go, I just got to win. Look at me. There's another thing that needs to be considered, too. If Warner Brothers, they made a big deal with Matt Reeves. If they're going to make deals with other filmmakers, yeah. Legendary could definitely help facilitate more Batman movies, more Superman movies, more DC films, whatever they're going to do. They need Legendary. And I think that if they're going to make those long-term deals that are expensive, with filmmakers, they need some of that legendary cheddar to make sure that they can get more filmmakers and put them. Look, I think for a 10-year plan, if legendary figures into that 10-year plan with filmmakers having deals being made because legendary has the money to do it, they could have a really good thing going, at least for the next decade. And Here's what's working against them, though. Yeah, that's true. And if they lose, if they lose legendary, hey, you guys still, Disney, you looking to put that Batman thing on there? Yeah, they're, they're, there's going to be a lot. It's going to be panic mode over there if they lose. That's legendary. But I mean, here's here's the thing. This is where Warner Brothers right now is at a real disadvantage. Because if you had asked, I think any of us in this room a year and a half ago, and said, in a year and a half from now, Legendary's deal, this is after the lawsuit, the everything would think. Do you think Legendary is up with Warner Brothers? Zero. I would have said zero percent chance. They're gone as soon as this deal is done. They are gone. Now, the logical part of our brains can say, well, yeah, but now it's new leadership. It's not the same ones that did them, Kalar's gone. You'd think that, but look at what just happened with MoviePass. MoviePass has come back out, and everybody, including people in this room, like, they burned me. I'm not going to trust them again, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter to us that it's new ownership. It doesn't matter to us that it's a new manager. It doesn't matter. We just know that we had MoviePass and we got burned. And a lot of people, like judging from our comments and everything that we've heard from everybody's like, no, screw that. I'm not giving them another shot. I'm not going to, no, I just remember what happened. I bought this thing. I got screwed, blah, blah, blah. So I, I wonder how much of that would play into legendary going, you know what? Yeah, yeah, we get it. There's new owner and everything, but this company effed us. The only thing with that, I, I see where you're going with that. The only thing is that MoviePass, when it came out, that was MoviePass. That was the only thing. It didn't have like a big deep, rich history the way Warner Brothers yeah. does, right? So Warner Brothers has had many forms of, whether it's Robinoff or any of these people, they've had many forms yeah. of leadership throughout the years. So Legendary's been around all of it, right? So they can say, all right, we got to hear this guy out, as opposed to like, nah, he's part of the same thing, because they're going to deal with studio heads anywhere they go. So you might as well hear him out. And if he's got the pitch that goes, okay, this guy's, this guy's saying the stuff we want, and they're offering us a lot to stay, I think he can save it. And I don't think that the, the past regime taints it, because it's Warner Brothers. MoviePass, I understand, because you've tainted that brand. That brand is tainted. It was the, in the first shot, the first iteration of it was tainted. Here's the thing where it could really work well for them. Because if, and I do think it's a bit of an uphill battle, but if they can secure a renewed legendary deal, if they can get legendary to re-up, and then, then follow that up with what we think is coming shortly afterwards, which is a long-term announced deal with James Gunn. 
if they can string together, we've locked down Matt Reeves, we re-up the legendary deal, we locked up James Gunn. If they can do that and start stringing some of these wins together, it'll be huge for them. But again, losing legendary would be massive, catastrophic. Yeah. Also, another thing to take into consideration, somebody we don't have in the mix, but it's already basically has a de facto deal with Warner Brothers is James Wan. Yeah. He's got the Conjuring universe and he's got Aquaman. And another thing, Warner Brothers, Legendary wants to be in the theatrical distribution business. Yes. At least for the time being. And if you're going to go, there's Universal and there's Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers is still a powerhouse in terms of international distribution, domestic distribution. So that they're a lot more attractive than, say, a Paramount is to Legendary. All right, guys, question is for you. How do you think this is going to turn out? Do you think Legendary, who is now, they're trying to decide whether to take their talents to South Beach or not. Mm -hmm. Do they go to Sony? Do they go to a much-needed Paramount? Do they look at something like Universal? Do they re-up and come back to Warner Brothers? What do you think is going to happen here? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. Rob. What is our fourth main topic today? I can't believe it. Clark Washington says, Yesterday, Deadline reported that production has begun on Beverly Hills Cop 4. <laughs> Not only has it been announced that Joseph Gordon-Levitt will join the film, but it has also been given a new title. Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley. Personally, I don't see how anybody can get excited for this movie, <laughs> given how bad the third Beverly Hills Cop was, but also after how terrible Coming to America was. What are your thoughts on this news? All right, Clark, thanks a lot for saying that in. And listen, it rationally, it doesn't make any sense. But this is the way it is. I remember always thinking about a Beverly Hills Cop 4 and thinking that would be cool to see. That would be cool to see. And even though this is going to be written by different people, directed by different people, like all that kind of stuff. When I saw Coming to America 2, it, and I'm not saying this is fair, but my enthusiasm for Beverly Hills Cop 4 really took a hit. And even now, like when you mentioned that in your email, and again, it's completely not fair that I think this way, but it is the thought process. It's like, I thought Coming to America 2 was an absolute dud. Like I, I, I love the first Coming to America and it certainly had its moments, but I thought it was a complete dud. The most exciting thing to me, to me here is the addition of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like that's a really interesting ad here. So, Look, I'm not going to say I'm completely disinterested in it, but I'm not going to say I'm super excited about it either. But Rob, I think I know which way you're leaning on it. When the news came out yesterday, you were you were pretty happy. Well, here's the thing. I think Beverly Hills Cop, the original, and to a certain extent, Tony Scott's sequel, um, Beverly Hills Cop 2, or Beverly Hills Cop is one of the great 80s action, studio action comedies. Uh, it, it, it treads a line of being serious and being comedic in a way that very few other films do. Uh, it has great action sequences. That opening neutron dance sequence with with the the, the such a great song by the, the way. cigarette <laughs> truck yeah. and him and Martin Brest's direction. Somebody, please bring Martin Brest. Bring him back. He deserves it. He's done his penance for Geely. But but I'm telling you, he it, it was such a great film, and this franchise could be great. Beverly's got three, dude. So misguided on every level. It's a parody. Now this, what I really. This could be, John, the Top Gun maverick of the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. Minus the F-18. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe but here's minus the thing. The I, I, think, I think, how do you... This, Beverly Hills Cop came out in 1984. How is he still a cop? 
Maybe he's retired. I mean, maybe he's retired. Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley. Maybe he's retired. But, I mean, he's it's forty. It's going to be 40 years. Maybe he's a boss. Maybe he's a boss. Yeah, that yeah. Maybe he's it. the captain now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I. it's got to be. I mean, God, you know. Christian, what do you think about this? I'm feeling everything that he is, right? Like, because I Beverly Hills Cop is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. I, like, I, I remember seeing that movie. I t I, my mom is convinced I am wrong, but I know that I am right. She took me to see that when I was way too young to see it in the theater by accident. She thought it was something, something else, and I was my first rated R movie, so I think. Um, but that movie, the reason why it was still considered an action comedy, the movie is a drama slash action whose lead character happens to be funny. Yes. Mm. That's the thing. The third one, they tried to get into a full action comedy. Sure, Rosewood, Rosewood got sillier and sillier by by as as it went on. But like, the third one just becomes this. I think it was maybe it was a PG thirteen. I don't know. Even if it was rated R. It was it was not good. Um, and then they made a TV show of it. They didn't even hit the it didn't even hit the air it, because it was so bad. Right now, this is a movie that because of what you said with Coming America too. Yes, there are some silly characters in the first one. There's no doubt about it. There's Eddie Murphy's playing four different characters at some point, but there was something about, and this is kind of the theme of today's show with balance, right? There was a theme about it that it just it seemed you believed all the characters were real, even though they were like these Saturday Night Live characters. In the second one, and I and after what you did, Craig Brewer had just done when I love Craig Brewer, what he had just done with Eddie Murphy on Dolomite, which, which was fantastic. So Dolomite was so good. So good. That's the tone I was hoping for for coming to America. Yeah. And it was more like a, like this is just a silly comedy where nobody's real. The nobody's real thing takes you out of it. And Maverick, Top Gun Maverick took had that it was weird because it combined like today's type of movie making. But it felt like an old school kind of like late 80s, 90s, and it stayed in consistent with the theme. Even though it didn't feel like the 80s cheese on it. I mean, even the beginning kind it of It had did. conviction. It had conviction. And that's the thing. This movie has to have conviction. You have to treat it serious. You have to be like, it's got to be a drama with some funny moments throughout, throughout it, right? And like, don't make it a full-on comedy with like goofy stuff happening. Make it a drama with some funny moments. Axel Foley is a funny dude. He's a funny dude. Let him be funny. And maybe and maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the serious cop that wants to prove his way, right? And shit's got to go down. Like when Mikey Tandino yes, dies yeah. in, mm. in the hallway, his friend, it's devastating. Killed by Jonathan Banks. Sure does. <laughs> and, but it's devastating because that's his buddy, and he feels it. And it's like, Papa, in the hallway. And you're like, mm. oh. Is, that's Shot the kind of stuff that right? needs to happen. Yeah, they, they yeah. pop him in the head. Yeah. I mean, and the I pop him in the back. James saw, Russo. Like, yeah. That's a different tone. Yes. Yes. Christian covers this up. This is like the breast of a dog. To scrub. <laughs> <laughs> to scrub to it's not sexy. It's no. animal. Yeah, yeah right, no, guys. I cannot. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Beverly Hills Cop for Axel Foley is now actually in production. It's the tangibilization of it all. It's really <laughs> happening. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in there. But how are you feeling about it? Are you excited about it? Is your excitement been tempered? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. <laughs> With that down, we're going to take another second here to thank another sponsor of today's show. Uh, they're a new sponsor for us. I love their stuff already. Our friends over at True Classic. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, True Classic. This brand new sponsor has the absolute best fitting t-shirts that a man can buy. Finding the right t-shirt with a little bit of a dad bod is incredibly frustrating. Most t-shirts are either way too tight on your gut or look way too big and boxy. You're not in high school anymore and it's time to upgrade. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men finally get a better fit at an affordable price. And the John Campy Show viewers and listeners get access to the best deal they offer. 
For a limited time only, get 25% off using the code CAMPIA at trueclassic.com. Look, you and I both know that almost all of men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six packs. But let's be honest, that's not most of us. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt that you can always confidently throw on. Like most of you guys, ever since college, I have always struggled to find proper fitting t-shirts that are comfortable. Well, True Classic, from the moment I put on the shirt they sent me, solves it. And True Classic doesn't just stop at tees. From polos and workout shirts with the same flattering fit. Upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code CAMPIA. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day refund policy. Stay classy with True Classic. Your dad bod will thank you. And thank you to our friends at True Classic for giving me awesome shirts and for being the sponsor of this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number five. Rob, what is our fifth main topic today? Our fifth main topic comes to us from Jason Vitti. It's been forever since the last Oscars, but people today are still talking about the slap. <laughs> Did you see that while doing a comedy show, Chris Rock mentioned that the producers of the Oscars offered him the hosting gig for the next ceremony? but he turned it down. So I guess I have two questions. One, do you think it was smart for them to offer him the job? And two, do you think Rock should have accepted it? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Jason. And those are two really completely different questions. Yeah. Now you're right, today people are still talking about slap. Might be the most infamous thing that's ever happened at the Oscars, who knows, time will tell. So for those of you who missed it, Chris Rock was offered the, apparently according to him, he was doing a stand-up show in, I believe, Arizona where he told the audience that they have offered him to host the next Oscars, and which he turned it down. And he said no. Should Let's start with the, the, the second question he was asked. Should he, be, he have accepted this? Honestly, under a lot of circumstances, I would say yes, but I think he probably made the right decision to say no. Because whereas the Oscars may be trying to separate themselves from what happened last year, Rock himself is probably getting, like, really is looking forward to getting himself separated from it. And he knows if he goes back and hosts the Oscar this year, every press event, every carpet, every everything is just all going to be Will Smith slap 24-7 nonstop. And he probably knows that. And so I could see him hosting the Oscars again someday. I think he'd be a very, very good host. And I think he will do it again someday. But to not do it this year is probably the wise thing. The other question, should the producers have offered him this? I'm torn on that, to be honest with you. Because on the one hand, I think, you know what? What better way to show that we've all made up and made nice than to have Chris come out who got, listen, he got assaulted and embarrassed on national television. What better way to symbolically show we've all made up and made nice and we're the wounds are healing than to have Chris Rock come in and host the event? Yeah, okay. You know what? I get that logic. I do. The other side of my brain, though, is like, uh, do you really just want because here's what'll happen, fair or unfair. Every second that Chris Rock will be on the stage at the Oscars this year, if he did it, will just be a reminder and everybody will be thinking about what happened last year. And so so I get that rationale as well. So for him, I think he made totally the right decision to turn it down. From the producer's point of view, I'm a little bit torn. I could see why you would invite him. I could see why maybe it wasn't a great idea. I don't know, Christian, obviously it's, it's the event that overshadowed the Oscars and everything, of course, last year. 
What do you think about these two questions? Should Chris Rock have accepted it? Should the producers have even invited him? What do you think? First of all, two great questions. Um, the first, uh, should he accepted it? No, I don't think he should have. I think because the other thing that will probably lay into the, my other answer is that they're going to know and he's going to know that he's got to write jokes about it. He's got to talk about yeah. it. He's got to, you know, and maybe he has PTSD from it. You know, the guy like he's he, he played it really well oh from what God, he did. The way he handled he it when it happened is really well. And he's yeah. selling out show left and right and making hand over fist. And first of all, before the slap, the Oscar hosting job is a thankless job. And it's and it, it, to this point of where the Oscars are. That's why they keep switching it back and putting 75 different hosts. They don't know what to do with it. They're clearly offering it to him for doing exactly what you said to make amends and to say, hey, we want you to come in. And they're very aware that he's going to crack jokes about it and talk about it. I think no matter who the host is, they're going to have to crack jokes and talk about it for sure. Even the individual presenters are probably going to make jokes. Of course. It's going to be it's going to be very. And that's probably for why it's a smart move for Chris Rock to go. I don't really want to be involved with that right now. I'm making my money off of it right now anyway. I sold out my show the right, the next day after because I was scheduled to do it. How funny is this, by the way? My, my good friend Rick Ingram, who's a comedy store guy, was it has been opening for Chris Rock and was scheduled that and the next day. Oh my god! And he's just like, oh, that's gonna be an interesting show. And I think like Boston <laughs> was the first one that they did. But um, but anyway, so like that whole particular scenario, I think that and the end other answer to that question, yes, I do think they should have offered it to him, even if they knew he was gonna say no, because you reach out to him and if they go, look, we have to understand that we're going to get roasted no matter who it is. The guy that took the brunt of this, we should reach out to him because he's done our show before. Yep. He's done a great job before. He's more like now than he ever has been. And if we don't reach out to him, I think that would be a slight. We're pro he's probably going to say no, but we should ask him. I think it was respectful to ask him, to be honest with you. And I think that it was a good move for him to go, nope, moving on. Rob, what do you think? It's probably tied, 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 if you're <laughs> about this. Yep. And I think it's true. You know, they had to make the offer. And he has hosted the show before, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But you know what? I also think that Chris Rock probably knows, I mean, as a movie fan, as an entertainment empresario for a long time, I, I'll bet you he wants to have the Oscars put back on track like everybody else does. And, and if he was to host it, no matter what he did, no matter what kind of opening number he could have done a duet with Billy Crystal, it didn't matter. There's no way that it wouldn't it would have overshadowed the entire thing yeah. people are like what's he gonna say when he comes out what's his monologue gonna be and even chris rock doesn't want that he's smart enough to know i mean i would like the movies to be restored to the luster that we all want them to be restored to and i think that you know it makes sense that he turned it down and it's exhausting it's exhausting for yeah, yeah and, and you know Everybody who who's the the who they choose as the Oscar host, it's almost like, well, who are we going to sacrifice on social media today? And that's what the hosting job has become. When before it used to be, whether it was Bob Hope or Billy Crystal or even Hugh Jackman, I mean, these hosts used to be at least held up in some high regard. Now it's been turned into one of the biggest jokes in the entertainment business, and it's not fair. Take the ban off and let Will Smith host it. Now <laughs> that that would that's be rating. interesting. I mean, wow. <laughs> All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? They offered Chris Rock the hosting job of the Oscars this year. I mean, you want to guarantee big viewership numbers just to see what he was going to say? Uh, he has decided to turn it down. How do you feel about it? Should they have offered it? Should Chris have accepted it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, 
We're going to do an unscheduled and unusual main topic number six here. Wow. And it's more of an off the top, so we don't have any questioning from the viewers. This kind of just came up on our radar, and we decided we should talk about it, and that is this. Now, of course, in circles of fandom, probably the biggest topic of conversation for the past 600 years has been the whole issue of Justice League and Snyder Cut and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, eventually... Warner Brothers relented and they decided, okay, we will make and release Snyder Cut. They put up $70 million. They let it go into production. They put it out on HBO Max. That was what they did. Did they get anything out of it? Probably not. We've known there were stories before in Deadline about, you know, being in the double digits of millions of dollars that they actually lost on the whole conversion, whatever. But now comes a story out of variety that Warner Brothers executives are actually just straight up saying... We regret that we released the thing. We think it was the wrong move. Uh, this comes from the folks at the director who wrote the following. Uh, in a recent report about DC's future challenges with Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, Variety revealed that studio insiders have shared regret over the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max in 2021. Instead of silencing the grassroots online campaign to hashtag release the Snyder Cut, the outlet sources claim that the four-hour HBO Max feature only further entrenched the Snyderverse fan base against the leadership at the studio at the D and at DC in particular, leading Warner Brothers insiders to lament that Zack Snyder's Justice League never should have been never should have happened. In a related report from Rolling Stone, the outlet claimed that the new heads of Warner Brothers Discovery have no intention of reviving the Snyderverse or partnering with director Zack Snyder in the future. And that comes to us from the direct. Okay, that's inflammatory in and of itself, for for sure. But there's a couple of different angles to look at this from. First of all, let me say this. Other than uh, Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of Harley Quinn, I have liked every DC movie. I make no apologies for it. Fuck y'all if you have a problem with that. I don't care. I liked all of them, except for that one. Um, I, no, I mean, I'm leaving. I'm done. Right. <laughs> <John's> out. <laughs> I, I enjoyed some more than others, clearly some more than others, but I, I've had a good time watching all of them. And that includes the theatrical release of Justice League. I had a good time watching. I went back to theater, watched a couple of times. Was the HBO Max four hour version as good as the theatrical one? It was better. It was a better cut. Would have died in the movie theaters at four hours, but it was to me at any rate it was the better version of the movie. It was an improvement. But should, if you were Warner Brothers, would you feel regret over the release of the film in the first place? I don't think initially, but I think eventually they grew to regret it. And I think there are two primary reasons why. One is the obvious one. They straight up lost money on the deal. Putting up an additional $70 million, they did not recoup with new subscriptions to HBO Max or anything like that. It was simply money burned, which is one of the many myriad of reasons that Jason Klar was not going to be kept around when, when the new ownership came in. So one is they lost money. But I think number two is the reason that I think they probably, they didn't regret it at first, but they grew to regret it was this. And this is the thing that I've always lamented about what we as fandom can be sometimes. You would, I liken it unto this. The neighborhood kids come to your window every day saying, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, please, can you give us a lemon lollipop? And finally, Mrs. Jones relents and says, oh, okay, fine. Here's your lemon lollipop. 
And he hands, she hands it to the boys outside of her kitchen window and they go, great, fuck you. And they turn around and leave. That is what Snyder Cut fans did to DC and Warner Brothers when the Snyder Cut got released. Instead of the, hey, you know what? We as a, as a collective fan group, we want to say thank you to for Warner Brothers for putting up 70 million extra dollars and delivering this version of the film that we have really wanted to see. That didn't happen. What happened instead was, as they wrote in the Variety article, instead, not everybody, but a portion of, of that group re-entrenched, doubled down, and actually upped their attacks on the studio and demand for things and started review bombing other DC movies like Kong versus Godzilla. The director had to come out. The director actually came out and actually tried to, in a, like through back channels, reach out to Zack Snyder and say, can you please call people off from review bombing my movie? And it doubled down. And I think that is what eventually led Warner Brothers to feeling like we never should have done this. At, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It probably was a good idea at the time. I think we ended up getting the superior version of the movie. But if you're the studio, if you could go back and press a button, go back in time and undo it, I think Warner Brothers does. I think they go back, undo it, and keep the money. I mean, everything was like, yes, there was this huge Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut movement, but a lot of it was very just positive and a lot of it was just thing. And eventually it would have died out. I don't know. It's a tough thing because the end result was we got a better movie, but at what cost? So I'm not really sure. Rob, you're hearing these reports coming out of Variety that like in the halls of Warner Brothers, the execs who were around during the previous regime were saying, we never should have released this. Is it understandable they feel that way? If you were in those boardrooms and hallways, how do you feel about it? Well, first of all, I just want to point out that there, there's a monetary aspect to this. They sold a lot of 4K discs in Europe before HBO Max got to Europe. There's still uh, merchandise coming out. They, Hot Toys just released a $500 two-pack from Zack Snyder's Justice League of the black-suited Superman and Nightmare Batman. So there's a lot of merchandising that went along with this film that's still being sold today. Um, I think what's unfortunate is that it might have been the greatest triumph in fandom history, getting the Snyder Cut made. And not only that, you know, Zack Snyder went on and Zack himself now has a deal at Netflix. He's already in production of Re in Re on Rebel Moon Part 2. Like, we're getting a whole new original Snyderverse, whatever that might be. And I would have thought that this the, the, the people that want to see the Snyder Cut would be happy with that and then support, move with Zack Snyder, move with their hero over to his triumphant Netflix deal and support his new, his new vision. I mean, why would you want Zack Snyder to go back to... Warner Brothers. Why would you not want to support a filmmaker that you love making a brand new original IP that's going to, you know, had Netflix money behind it? I would think that's where people's efforts should go. Let's support Zack Snyder there. And I, I think it's unfortunate that we, we had this great, the, the Snyder, the release of Snyder Cut people have one of the greatest triumphs in all fandom history. And that's a win. Like you say, take the win. Take the win and be like, hey, and then follow your boy over to watch what new magic he's going to conjure up. I'm surprised that hasn't happened. And when I've said that to people online on Twitter, they're like, well, we want both. I'm like, well, you, that's not how the world works, man. I mean, it ain't show friends, it's show business. So, but let me pose a question to you again. You're one of Warner Brothers. Oh, would I regret it? Would and I? you're in the hallways now. And now that all the time has passed and all the kind of stuff, do you feel like either one way of looking at it is like, hey, listen, we were in the top of the news headlines for a while by releasing this. And 
uh, we were at the top of the news cycle for a while, or do you look at it as saying it was more trouble than it was worth? I don't know. If, I don't think it's more trouble than it's worth because not only did, were they able to sell a lot of uh, uh, discs of the Snyder Cut, they also made a companion version of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice out of it in that same IMAX ratio, the square ratio. So they now have this sort of of a piece together. I think there was a lot more out of it business-wise. There's a lot of people listening to Twitter and all the bitching and moaning and complaining, but I think if you look at the bottom line and you look at the ancillary markets, I think ultimately it was a good investment for the studio because what it did was it ultimately upped the value of a movie that had no value anymore, which was Justice League, and then it, it also upped the value, bolstered the value of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Christian, how do you see it? I wouldn't regret if I, if I was a studio executive because you're also not looking at the human element of it and, that, and, and not you guys, but in general, that we forget why from reports why Zack Snyder was let go um, or why he left with the tragedy inside of his life and he didn't get to get his version out there, right? And I think by letting him and knowing and understanding what happened to him and, and inside of that and having compassion and going, okay, look, that was a terrible thing that happened to you when that happened and we're going to release the cut and do that. Yeah, you can be scorned by thinking oh the fans are going to love us for this they're not there for you they're not they were there they're there for Zack snyder they're not there it doesn't matter what warner brothers did as long as if, if they kept Zack snyder and said Zack snyder was going to do a thing then maybe they would have done that but that's not what warner brothers wanted to do but the thing that confuses me though is they go wow we're not going to do the Snyderverse anymore we're not going to do uh isn't ben affleck coming back isn't uh aquaman continuing isn't shazam i mean that is kind of and wonder woman but that but, is but a that, and that the flash up, that brings up a discussion i was having with somebody the other day there's a semantic terminology disconnect i think with a lot of people because different people i think think of different things when they think of snyderverse some people they hear snyderverse they think that's anything that's connected to the movies that he had done before so uh, jason momoa aquaman right. wonder woman some people hear the term Snyderverse. They think of an ongoing thing of, of Zack Snyder. His story. Like storyboarding and all that kind of stuff rather than just like still working with the actors. Yeah. Working yeah so it's, it's, slippery, a little, it's a slippery slope. Different people have different interpretations of it. Right, That's yeah. why I think it's hard to get Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's just a matter. But I think that uh, I just happen to think that if, if he was the one who introduced a lot of these characters in and you're continuing, you're still continuing the storyline if, if Ben Affleck comes back. So it is in turn... They just don't want to use that terminology because of everything we're talking about here today. Because there is, and but I want to address something you said as far as why they don't follow him over to Netflix, right? You got to remember that the majority of Snyder fans were DC fans always right. first, yes. Right. And there, and it was like DC, we want. And when he came in, they're like, this is the guy we want. We want this guy. And then, well, they, I also love Man of Steel, right? And these movies come out and they go, this is the guy. All right, he's doing the stuff that we like. And then they're like, well, no, he's out. And they're like, no, 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 no. What about his movie that he did? Like, well, no, we're not going to show that. We're going to show this thing with the Avengers guy who's directing. You're like, no, 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 no. Where's our guy's thing? And that's when it becomes like this thing. And going to Netflix, it's like Robert Downey Jr. Everybody loves Robert Downey Jr. I remember when he goes on to do like The Judge, nobody goes and watches it, right? Because they don't, they want to see him as Tony Stark. And the same thing, there are a lot of people who follow Zack Snyder over, but they want to see him do DC movies, no. and I understand it. But I also understand Warner Bros. position of going, it's time to move on. But I and, wouldn't regret. I wouldn't regret it. I love the Snyder Cut. By and way. it's you guys bring up great points because what they really want is this finishing up of the Dark Side saga. They want to see them go to a. See, that's what I think. And, some people think when they hear Snyder, yeah, they think right, about getting right, that right, continuing it, that. continuing yeah. it. And right. I think what's really interesting and ironic, like as you pointed out, the Snyderverse does continue, and all the people that he cast, Aquaman made a billion dollars. Right. 
you know, the first Wonder Woman was a huge hit. And now Ben Affleck's coming back. And and let's lest we forget, Ezra Miller's The Flash is also a Snyderverse right, right. movie. And we're gonna get Michael Keaton and potentially Ben Affleck in that movie too. So I would say that you could even do a box set of the Snyderverse, <laughs> and it would be a pretty. I'd buy that box set. Of course you. Would. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but the, here's the thing: a lot of things you mentioned. By the way, I still think the best movie, D, the DC of the DCU era, that they have had is Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Like I, I think that is hands down, and one, and you've heard me say a million times, the most underrated comic book film I think of all time. I I support. I you. irrationally I love, love that movie. <laughs> But that said, you know, when you're talking about Wonder Woman, yeah, it was the person he cast. When you talk about Aquaman, yeah, but that was James Wan's movie. When you're talking about Flash, yeah, but that's Andy Muschietti. It is. So I, I think that's why it's but the, thing, the the zombie movie, Army of the Dead, right? It was out the name. Is that what the yeah. actual name of it was? Army of the Dead. I, so. I had that got mixed reactions from people. I remember I actually got to see it in a theater, and I remember I did an out of theater reaction for it. And while Shakespeare, it is not. I actually had fun with that movie. It, it had that kind of bonkers style that Zack Snyder can bring, whether it's a more serious bonkers style, like in a 300, or a, more, a little bit more levity to it, a little more of the fun aspect to it, like it was in Army. I'm very, very curious to see this Rebel Moon. I, I, I don't know what to think, but I know that I liked Army of the Dead, but not everybody did. I look with Rebel Moon. I, I'm expecting a Frank Frazetta painting, you know, like the cover of Princess of Mars. Right. Some like set between the the color of the of the Molly Hatchet record, the Death Dealer, you know, with the, another Frazetta painting with the guy on the mm -hmm. horse with the axe. I expect to see that mixed with Star Wars. I think that's what Zack Snyder. <laughs> he's going to give us the most metal science fiction live action opus ever. I, I you know, I, I expect it to have a metal soundtrack. I want to turn it up loud, just like I thought the the Snyder cut. The whole reason I started calling things metal that movie looks so metal, dude. Yeah, and I want to see the sci fi version of that. And would I love to see Justice League Part Two? Sure, but that's just never going to happen in the world we live in. You know what my ever. one concern about Rebel Moon is is that I, I'm, I'm freezing on the name of the girl, the actress right now, from uh, The Kingsman uh, and from Star Trek. Sophia Boutella. Sophia Boutella, who I really enjoy seeing her on screen. I love seeing her on screen on Atomic Blonde. I mean, she's, she can do action, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not saying this is going to... No, I'm saying I'm a little... I'm, I'm concerned. I'm wondering. Every time I've seen her on screen, I think she's been very, very solid in a very limited role because it's always been fairly limited roles she's had always crushing it though i am curious but but, but with limited stuff to yeah, do right yeah. on her physicality is like mm -hmm. by the way if you guys want to see something bonkers go up on youtube look up sophia batella dancing you want to go down a rabbit hole and be blown away like i think she's one of the planet's best dancers. Mm. like just her videos just her dancing are insane I wonder better I than John Campy at breakdancing. Uh, well, that's that will never be seen. That will never be seen. <laughs> never say never. Release the Campy. But, but I have not seen anything yet that makes me go, oh, my God, that person could carry a movie. And, and, and so I wonder about that, even though I like her a lot. I just wonder about that. But he's got a lot of really other interesting cast attached to it. The premise is fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this whole situation? Uh, the execs in the hallways of Warner Brothers saying they regret that they put the movie out. They probably shouldn't have done it. 
do you agree? I think some good things came out of it, like an improved version of the movie. Some clearly some bad things came out of it. Some great hot toys. <laughs> some great hot toys. What do you think? Would you regret if you were them? Do you think it was a good move? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Personally, I'm a little more into the Reeves uh, verse. But well, yes. Just, I know, mean, I obviously, know. the Reeves stuff is the superior thing, yes. of course, Matt. Um, all right, guys. With that all down, we are now going to open up the Super Chats, and we are going to take your live questions. If you've got a question, thought, opinion, theory, speculation, whatever, go ahead and fire that in. We will address it here in the second half of the show. But before we get to that, we want to take another second and thank you know, uh, one of our major sponsors here, they kind of help present this John Campus show. We are so thrilled with the new deal we have with them, and they are my cell phone service provider, our friends at Mint Mobile. We want to take a second and thank the sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of the retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. And guys, I have been using Mint Mobile for months now, and I could not be more thrilled with the service. I also couldn't be more thrilled with the fact that my phone bill now is literally one third of what it used to be with my previous major care. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile. We also want to know what is the name of your mascot? That cute little fox. I want to know. Ray, do we have <laughs> do we have premium member questions? Yeah, queries, we got chats, plenty of whatever. them. We got plenty of them, Rob. So one comes from Bert. He says, watch Rogue One on the big screen for third time. First on IMAX, CGI, CGI Moff Tarkin made him look like he survived episode four and became Snoke. Panel, what is your favorite Star Wars comic slash Omni, including Legends? Dude, I like any comic with the hoojibs. The comics for... Or Jackson. <laughs> so the question is, favorite Star Wars comic from yeah. Legends? There was one that actually, um, it, was like, it was like a what-if comic. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, the what-if Luke was went to Alderaan and, 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 and vice versa and like those types of things and stormtroopers. That's the type of stuff because I, I want that so badly in Star Wars. Like right. what Marvel's already done uh, with their what if, what if series. I don't want it to be exclusive to Marvel because they did it, right? Star yeah. Wars did it at one point in the comic and I really enjoyed it. I remember that back in the day was a comic that I liked. I also have the, the slip-cased version of The Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice. It's very interesting to me. Okay, Edgar Ramos, right? Great to see Harloff on today's show. Can't be on Harloff on the same show again. Come back whenever you'd like again. Oh. <laughs> you'd like again, sir. Also, best of luck with the new studio. Well, thank you. And I would not say there is an open door policy. I like that he invited me. I like that he invited me. Thank you. Maybe call first. <laughs> Just start showing up. James Argento writes, chances of any Rebels characters in Andor, such as Era, Sabine, Zeb, K Kanan? 
Canon Canon or Canon. Ahsoka and Rebels? I mean, the timeline fits up. Hera is probably your best bet because two things. One, whether they introduce the actress who's playing her in Ahsoka, but the, also because I think for me, Tony Gilroy is going to put in stuff that you've seen before in in um, Rogue One. Yeah. Hera's mentioned in Rogue One. Yeah, General Sindula, please report to the, yeah. We Chopper. see the ship too. Chopper. We, we see, see Chopper. as well. We so I, I think things like that could, I mean, I mean, Saul Guerrero was also in Rebels, mm -hmm. so he's but clearly he showing up. First. He was, he was, but uh, I, I do think that you could, Hera's probably the best bet. The other ones, I think they're going to keep away because Filoni wants to really push them forward in his show. All right, what's next? All right, Alexander Kent writes, if you like She-Hulk, the show Suits is, if success principles had feelings and emotions, you didn't know that you had a friend named Lewis, you would punch, slap, hug, kick him, and be there for him. I mean, I've heard a lot of people over the years tell me I should check out Suits. I, I mean, I, every once in a while they put a, like new things about it, and I got to catch up with it at some point. All right, what's next? Wayne Edwards writes, I saw 3,000 years of longing over the weekend at the Burbank AMC Dolby Cinema. What amazing film experience, a fascinating story anchored by great acting by Swinton and Elba. Have you seen it yet? Tilda Swinton, Edris Elba, directed by George Miller. What's apparently not to love, but I've heard very mixed things about it, um, including our own Taylor came back and said, didn't like it that much. And I've heard a number of people say they didn't. Like, I'm still curious to see it. I, I didn't go out to see it yet, but I will at some point. Mm. All right, what's next? Kevin Joyce writes, just calling out as someone who works with analytics firms that retention is also a metric used to judge streaming value. Yep. Though it's very difficult to pinpoint and there are a myriad of mythologies. Yeah, see, the, the, the clearest analytic they have that gives them a kind of a clear picture is they have, and this is their most treasured analytic, when somebody subscribes, what is the first thing they go to? That's, that's like their guiding North Star one. It's like when somebody signs up for Netflix for the first time or re-ups, whatever, what is the very first thing they watch? And that is like the most valuable analytic they have. Because you're right, there are other statistics in there too, but they become a little bit more nebulous in trying to interpret. That one is kind of one of the easiest ones that they have. All right, what's next? This one's interesting, John. Up in Adam writes, last week, Kamura Usman confirmed he's in Black Panther 2. As a huge UFC fan, I'm excited. Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Who do you we, think he might be playing? Uh, it, it's probably a no-name, whatever. If you're expecting to see Kamara Usman in there and, and some major role, you're not. It's kind of like when, um, oh, what's his name? Head of the table uh, was in. Uh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns. Roman yeah. Reigns was in. Fast and the Furious. Not Fast and the Furious. Hobbs and Shaw. Right. Oh, Hobbs like, and Shaw. Yeah, he was there. He even got to say a line. And he's in a couple of. Uh, I think that I don't think you're expecting to see him any known Marvel mm. name or anything like that. He's not an actor. All right, what's next? Sin Vendetta writes, John Christian, one of my favorite things you guys did at Collider was the Star Wars movies commentaries, hmm. especially the hmm. prequels, because it was just hilarious hearing you guys tear those movies apart. LOL. Well, I mean, like, it wasn't all tearing it apart. No. Like, you get into, like, listen, I, I came around a little bit on uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is still a sack of shit, but the least offensive sack of shit out of the prequels. It's funny. I've come around on them all, and I don't think they're sex. I, I watch them. I think I told you this last time. I watch them with different eyes now. And I, right. As I tell the story, with I was watching it with, at the time, my eight-year-old. With your kids, 10. yeah. And watching her watch the show, I went, and the movie, I went, oh, I get it. 
and I watched it more as like Clone War episodes, and I found it, like I understand your issues with it for sure, and I don't disagree with a lot of the points that you make about it. But I actually really, I kind of really enjoy them now as I watch them because I watch them differently. Yeah. Another example of why having children will slowly kill you. <laughs> All right. And you Finally, <laughs> crystal skull too. I haven't slept in three years. <laughs> Bleach. Right, what's next? Bleach seven four eight two zero writes: If Netflix won't do Sandman season two. Couldn't HBO Max easily pick it up since it's a WB slash DC product? Um, they Neil Gaiman has already come out and said, actually publicly said, if Netflix decides not to pick it up, we can be taken elsewhere. Of course, the price tag of the show goes along with it. And mm -hmm. it like Neil Gaiman has also come out and said, we are in a ridiculously expensive show. And season two is going to be even more ridiculously expensive because they're doing a season of mists. Yeah. So and and the biggest audience. The biggest audience is on Netflix. So, I mean, here's hoping they're able to make this deal happen because, I, it, yeah, it could end up on HBO Max. Absolutely. Actually, I, I could see them aggressively going after I'd it. rather them go to HBO Max because it means I get it week by week and it means that more mm. people It means that more people would talk about it yes. and it yeah. means that it would do better. Yep. I agree. Yeah, and it's a great rationale. Perfect. All right, what's next? All right, Manny Garcia writes, going to see Rogue One today in IMAX. Movie holds a special memory as it's the first movie I saw in theaters with my now wife. Oh, that's oh, wow. awesome, dude. Awesome. I, you know, Ann and I went to go see it a couple times this week. I, you know, I remember the first time we watched it again and I, I was telling the story, Christian, you, I don't know if you heard this, but like, first of all, the theater was packed. It was absolutely packed. And you could tell that there were a couple of people in there who'd never seen Rogue One. And I was telling the story, like when you get into the third act and the battle on Scarif has ensued and Bodhi has just plugged in the thing and he's now back on the ship, he's back on Rogue One. And then the grenade comes in. You hear one guy in the yeah. back of the thing going, oh, shit. <laughs> and like everybody in the theater, like this is one of the reasons why watching movies in theaters with an audience is so great. Because everybody in the theater, like I yelled at, I was like, like everybody erupted. It was great. It's such a good movie, man. And as our viewer, you know, no wonder they got married because it has such a romantic ending. It really it does. does. It's like that. What's, <laughs> what's that? Deep Impact. Tragic. It's Romeo and Juliet. They died together. That movie is another one. As I just talked about the prequels, that movie, I, I liked Rogue One when I saw it. I think it is hands down the best movie in the Disney era. Yeah. Hands down. I don't think there's an argument of it because it is the most, to me, feels the most Star Wars out of all of them, especially on rewatches and the way it connects to everything. I'm so excited. I think it's going to get even better. As Andor comes out. I agree. Yep. I, I, I think, and I think, by the way, at the Rogue One thing, they show us like 12 minutes. Oh, did they? You know that scene that released with him and Skarsgård? Yeah. That they showed like the full eight minutes of that. Mm. And the scene is incredible. It's incredible. incredible. Anyway, all right, what's next? Okay, Ting King Tanic writes, don't mind me just using my free member chat to remind everyone that Age of Extinction is the best Transformers movie and the best movie of 2014. Okay, you may great. think this is satire, but I'm deadly serious. Good day to you all, all great. of you. Extinct. Hit the button that removes his membership. <laughs> eliminate it right now. Just get rid of it. I mean, listen, I you, you know, I grew up with every Transformers story. I love Transformers, and I will be a lifelong defender of Michael Bay's first Transformers movie. I really love that movie. And the Bumblebee was wonderful. I think all of the rest of them are terrible. No, episode three, Dark of the Moon. Ooh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, you you and Schnapp both defended Dark of the Moon. But I think that's just because Schnapp, I think he just did it because And Ray's got to yeah. defend Dark of the Moon. No, it's the age of, it stinks, son. Exactly. Okay, what anyways, uh, Reels and Heels writes, if the rumor that Penn Badgley, Badgley? Yes. Of Gossip Girl and U-Fame gets cast as Reed Richards, what could that do for his career? 
Everything. Yeah. Well, ev- ev- what what did being cast as Thor do for for uh, Chris Hemsworth? What not did a being thing. Ca- Star- not a thing. Yeah, not a Star- single thing. Hey, got him into a Michael yeah. Mann movie. Black Cat. <laughs> oh god i've never heard of this actor so it's doing something right well, now and right? even loves just being that rumored. show like the show you yeah like, she and loves that he's show. great in you by the way he looks like a reed richards so i didn't even know because i had talked about it yesterday on my show and i was like yeah i brought up you and then and everyone was like well what about gossip girl i go i have seen three frames of gossip girl but 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 Ow. apparently he was in that he was in <laughs> yeah, that I show no idea but yes i mean like you just said Chris, I mean, anybody, any of these. Are you going to be at D23? I am. Okay, so like we're going to be there too. Okay, Do you cool. think we're going to see them bring the cast out on stage for yes. Fantastic Four? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, sad news from our um, one of our lo- loyal viewers. He says, just wanted to let you know, all know that my father passed away last Thursday Who night. Who is it? Uh, Casey Mack. Sorry, oh, Casey Mack. So I had to take a break from the show, but you guys always brighten up my day, even during this sad of time. Very sorry, uh, dude. I'm sorry, really sorry to hear that. And, yeah. and you know, one of the again, we we talk about this all the time. One of the great things about movies and the communities that surround them is that they offer what I call an oasis. Where, you know, it, times in my life when things have really sucked, I often retreat to the movies or to friends to talk about movies. It's not when I come out of the movie or out of my conversations with my friends of talking about movies that my problems are any different. They're not but I just find myself in a different state. I just find my mind has been relaxed, renewed a little bit, maybe even invigorated a bit. So the problems are still there, but my ability to interface with those problems just gets bitter. And that's what movies do. And I'm glad that the movies and this community can be that for you, man. We're glad that you're a part of it. Thanks for sharing that, dude. Okay, last one, Mike Joyce. I forget if this was asked last time Christian was here. Christian. Have you ever had mozzarella sticks ah, with they sour ask. cream? They did ask me that last time, and I said no. And he's trying. John, John had the same reaction he's got right now. He's trying. It's just like some rough. It's like you've got to, you got to try it. But you haven't been here. <laughs> and I said arteries. Every day he's since, a pusher man. Every day since, <laughs> Rob, is this fair to say? Every day since, people have been writing in. Holy shit, Campy! We tried mozzarella sticks with. With sour sure cream, it will never go back. And I said, I'm, it's not the best for your for your arteries. <laughs> nope. Unfortunately, <laughs> no, sir. Uh, more people agree with John than agree with Chris and myself. <laughs> But it's actually look. good. Oh, I believe, I'm, I'm I'm sure it's probably mm. decent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, I'll try it. for me. I'm sure All right. it's decent. Is that it? Yep. Maybe All right, so listen, we are almost out of time here because we had a lot to cover today. But let's get on over to the Super Chat, shall we? Rob, what do we got? I mean, it says, Christian, like you, I was at the Mondo panel at Celebration and saw that awesome Season 3 trailer. Do you guys think they will probably release it or publicly release it at D23? Ooh, That'd be, uh, that Mando, makes sense, wouldn't three? it? Well, Mondo's Mando season three. Yeah. Well, so the only thing about, I, I think that you're probably going to get a public release of that and maybe Ahsoka. The only thing that I wouldn't push back on if somebody was going to say, well, think about it, is that Andor is going to be coming out like two weeks later. So they want the focus still on Andor, but there's a lot of other things that are, I mean, you're going to have three things on that panel, right? It's going to be Marvel. It's going to be uh, Star Wars or Lucasfilm rather, yeah. which you're going to Indiana Jones as well. And the, and Willow. And then you're going to get um, the tw- 20th century, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on how much time they're going to spend on it. But I do think Mando season three for sure will be, will be. But ready. it is a two hour panel. So we got a lot, we got, there's a lot to cram in there, yeah. but at least they get themselves a little bit of breathing. Indy room. five trailer. Yeah, I think a lot, maybe either a teaser and some uh, some images of Indy. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. think footage. Now, whether that footage is a trailer, teaser, 30-second yeah. featurette, I don't know, but I think we're going to get our first footage. All right, what's next? Andy says, now that Matt Reeves works for the John Campy show, <laughs> can you guys get him to put some damn Nickelback in the Batman sequel? Never make it as wild, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. We're working on that right now. We're working on the licensing. It'll be all Nickelback all the time. 
All right, what's next? Andy says, RRR is great, but I loved watching it even more while I was stoned. This movie is everything that Riverdale should have been <laughs> done better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, RRR is a movie a lot of people wanted be asking me to watch for a long time. I finally sat down to watch it. I got about 15 minutes in, and I could just tell, like, this this is, I'm not the audience for it. And so I kind of tapped out of it. But a lot of people love, there's even, there's even some Oscar buzz. Mm. There, 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 there are some people talking Oscars for this thing. So, I mean, listen, it is beloved. Like, people are loving this thing. I, I wasn't one of them. That's fine. But a lot of people really do like it. All right, what's next? Uh, Mr. Old Blue Eyes says, John, like you, uh, like your straight out of the theater reviews, you should do straight off the couch reviews for movies released on Netflix, etc." Don't laugh. I actually thought about, you know what? Here's what happened. Episode one of House of the Dragon. I Ray was over, and I, <laughs> I want to do a video of Ray as somebody who had never seen Game of Thrones. His reaction watched House of the Dragon. We filmed it, and I had no audio on it. Mm. Um, and so I wasn't able to put it out. So this week, I thought about just being in the, the TJCS theater and bringing out my phone and recording my quick reaction to it, and I just forgot about it. So, yeah, I think I will do that. You should. I, I, you I should. I do, I do them for my, my thing. I do it like, it's just like an immediate reaction right after I watch it, and I just save my spoiler review for like the next day. But it's fun to like not write anything down and just I, like – I did it for a house. Yeah, break. I'll do it for like Boom. 30 seconds yeah, yeah. or something like that. I'll, I'll probably look at doing that. I'm All so right. excited for this show, man. Sin oh, so I, we, I'm we, so in for this show. We every time, want you to come over and watch it with us. Every time you guys mention this show, I'm like, I can't wait for the next episode. I'm all it's in. It's really great. Thrones, so good. <laughs> all right, what's next? Sin Vendetta says, as far as the Snyder Cut Justice League is concerned, I'm very happy that they did go back and finish it. I loved it so much that I bought it on both digital and 4K Blu-ray. You're a good man, Sin Vendetta. I mean, listen, I, 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 mm -hmm. while there are some, I don't hear a lot of voices that say the theatrical version was better. You know, so it, it was it was definitely an improvement on it. I mean, I, I don't think it was a night and day difference myself, but I thought it was an improvement, better version. The best thing about it to me, though, was the cyborg storyline. Yes. Yep. Like that to me changed the entire texture of the character in the story at all. No doubt. Um, and that's the one, because listen, a lot of things in the movie, I could see why they were cut out theatrically, especially like the Mavens of the Sea singing to Aquaman. <laughs> that, was the only, that was the only thing that went on a little long. But like what, like what is, what the fuck is this but but honestly, what that is is a is, a, is going to be a meme or whatever that, that's that's what that's oh, that was amazing but the cyborg <laughs> stuff the cyborg stuff that was back in there Boy. again that was the one thing that to me like that was the one element of the film that was totally changed because it totally changed the way you saw the character it totally changed the way you understood his motivations it totally changed his underlying uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, not what do you call a more another word for a moral standard? It's it's his own ethics. You understand the underlying principle of what his ethics are. It just fundamentally changed the way you looked at the entire character, and that was the one thing that came out of the Snyder Cut. Well, a lot of it was entertaining, but that's the one thing I saw that was like this whole storyline that never should have been cut out. Although it would have taken right. them over the two hour mark that Warner Brothers had enforced, they couldn't go over two hours. But anyway, all right, what's next? Uh, Allison Hoffman says, Britney Spears for hosting the Oscars. <laughs> no. Yes, please. That might be just toxic. Just, just no. I appreciate what you did there. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe she co-hosts with her and Christina Aguilera together. There you what go. Are you, what are you, living in 2002? That's what I'm not the one who suggested her as a host. But you got to set her with her success this week with Elton John. 
You know, never know. Yeah. All right, Al Renshaw right. says, recent behind-the-scenes photo shows Ruffalo in mocap suit and Titania. Seems like we might be getting Hulk back sooner rather than later. Ooh. You know what? We are still not saying what it was. But you guys remember when I <clears throat> accidentally leaked out those Spider-Man pictures. We said, like, I, I, my buddy got a hold of me, the one who told me, John, John, those pictures are actually real. I'm like, what the fuck? I was on the precipice of releasing another couple of pictures. And I told you guys, there were more pictures, but we cannot tell you what they were. But I showed them to Rob. And then we came out of Spider-Man No Way Home. It's like, that wasn't in the movie. Nope. That means it's for something else. And for months, you guys have been asking me, John, tell us now what it's for. It's like, nope, not till it happens. But now that they have shown that Daredevil is in the She-Hulk thing, we can tell you that it involves She-Hulk and Daredevil, the picture we saw. However... The episode has still not happened. So we still don't want to tell you what the exact context of it was. But I mean, when we saw the pictures, because we thought the picture was going to be in Spider-Man. No yeah, Way and it made sense. And that it like, could have been there. It could have been there. And they would have introduced She-Hulk in that context. Yeah, because we were freaking out because we thought She-Hulk and Daredevil are going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. But then they weren't. So then we knew it was going to be for the She-Hulk show. But, uh, but we will tell you all the specifics of the thing once it actually happens in the show, because we don't want to tip the hand on that yet. All right, what's next? Uh, Gregory Langhauser says, need more shows like For All Mankind and Foundation. Got any suggestions? Yes. Somebody finally needs to ad adapt Dan Simmons' Hyperion Cantos. That no, he's asking next... about shows that exist. He's asking for recommendations. No, he shows. says more shows. Oh, more shows like that. Well, I yeah. thought he wanted more shows like that. You have to crawl any, into any Burnett's mind. Well, watch The Expanse. You know, watch... Oh, The Expanse is so if good. If you haven't seen The Expanse, watch The Expanse. And watch the German series Dark. I know you didn't get into oh, it. Oh, man, I want to no, see no, that. No, no, no. Yeah. The funny thing is, that's the funny thing. Dark is kind of like Better Call Saul, where I watched the first one or two episodes of Dark, liked it, I just never got around to keep going with it. I, like I, I had no problem. Yeah, mm. I, I liked it. I got to get. That's back the on. most recommended show that I have. The people when I when they watch my shows, really, because I, I love that like parallel universes, time travel. Like it's, I'm obsessed with it. So like, why aren't you watching it? And I still haven't even tried it. And you know what? It's, it, it, it's not. It doesn't reach the heights. There is a show on Netflix called Travelers. This Canadian science fiction mm -hmm. time travel show that's also pretty good. Okay, watch the that. Big problem with Dark though. Too many Germans. Hey. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, Kali Woolley says, one of two. Hey, John, my dad and I just found out that Disney Plus has IMAX enhanced versions of some of the bigger MCU films available to stream. We watched Endgame just the other day oh, wow. in the one, one, nine, one, one, one 90 to 1 aspect yeah. ratio, and it was glorious. That's the IMAX ratio, by the way. Have you checked it out yet? Also, She-Hulk is in 4K. Hashtag don't yuck on my yum. I just want to say that uh, the IMAX versions of those films are way better. They did not release them on physical media. And watching both Infinity War and Endgame with the higher IMAX ratio, it doesn't seem as cramped. You see Thanos' entire head when he chokes Loki to death. It's much better. Spoilers, and, dude. Sorry. And why they, why they don't put those out, they didn't put them out on physical media. But Because physical media is dying. Stop this. It's true. But, but just yeah. to go back to one of the things you said, I'm glad you brought that up. So, like, after... There's the post-credit scene in She-Hulk episode two where they talk about 4K. And of course, I got told definitively by somebody I trust that the funny thing is, is that Disney Plus does not actually stream in 4K. And that's what made the joke so funny. So I said on the show, oh yeah, so I, I guess they don't stream it in 4K, blah, blah, blah. But I was, I had a bunch of you guys write to me and correct me on that, that actually they do stream in 4K. So learn something new every day on here. So thanks for bringing that up. All right, what's next? Uh, Stub McShave, all the way from Sweden, says, love 
House of the Dragon. Characters are perfectly crafted and performed. It's grounded in verisimilitude and its own emotional truth. I was skeptical since I hated the end of Game of Thrones. The clear highlight of the year for me. I, By the way, Stubble's a huge fantasy literature fan, so that is high praise. I am uh, very, very much an alone on a very, very lowly populated island called the Isle of Those Who Appreciated Just How Great the Final Season of Game of Thrones Was. Uh, but that's me. It's a very, very small island, very low population on that. But I am on that island. But you have a lot of awards. But uh, but there's a lot of Emmys on that island. <laughs> I'm on the island with Emmys. you. But I, I had... I was enthusiastic for the new show. I, I thought good things. I have not been prepared for how good it is. Like I, this, it has not missed a beat. It really hasn't missed a beat. Like everything, every like nuance, every, the pacing of the shows, the whole, the, the, the focus on characters above action is just, I mean, you know, I was talking about this yesterday, Christian, that episode two, not a single action sequence, not one fight, not, not one, whatever. And it was thrilling. I was watching an episode. It was thrilled in a way like I had just watched the portal scene in Endgame. What episode one did very well was for people who were going, okay, like, so I'm on that island with you. I really enjoyed it. But I also understand the criticisms for those who, who didn't like the last season. But the first episode was to tell people who didn't like that season, hey, look. This is gonna have all the stuff you like about Game of Thrones. You're gonna get the extreme violence, you're gonna get the politics, you're gonna get the, you know, the sexuality, right. you're gonna get the shocking stuff, you're gonna get all that. Now that you've seen all that, let me show you who these people are and what they are. And I told you guys when I walked in, every single scene in that show was memorable. Every scene and you every character that had any screen time, you think about that character. And you can automatically say, oh, they did that in that show. That character was involved in that storyline. That character was introduced to do that. That's going to set up this. It was so good. I mean, it was so good. And like you said, not a lot of action at all. And even the cheated action with them on the bridge, you're like, what's going to go down? What, what's going to happen? And like mm -hmm. nothing but everything. Because it showed you so much about Damon and what he was yeah. ultimately of what he could do. But he's still a family man. Yep, and there's one, and again, I don't. So we're spoiling the episode or not? But there's a particular scene that my favorite moment of Damon in the entire thing was when he says, "Yeah, it's not my brother's strong suit. What being the king?" And then he starts talking shit about his brother. He's like, "I can talk about my brother." Didn't I just say that yesterday on our podcast? My favorite moment when he says, "I will speak as my with my brother as I mm -hmm. wish. You will not." Yeah. it's like it's it's like that tells you chills, so man, but it chills. tells you so much about who he is between mm -hmm. that and what happens at the bridge. Grace, Grace, you get ready to yell. Amen. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. The best. While he's animal eating. crackers flying out of my mouth, but that's why he's the best. All right, what's next? Al Renshaw says, even if Honey Boy wasn't based on father, Shy still gave a great performance, and that's what matters in my eyes. I think he's right. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like at the end of the day, it. Look, I don't like hearing what we heard. I, I don't. I mean that that's kind of a little bit of a dick move to try to pass off to the world that this is was my relationship, and it's not. But at the end of the day, the movie was the movie. It didn't change anything about the movie, and I still quite enjoyed it. All right, what's next? Uh, Daniel Playview says. Drainage, Eli, you boy, drain dry. What? <laughs> Isn't that? It's from uh, there, there will be blood, blood. right? Oh, oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I don't remember. Daniel, Daniel Plainviews. Is I that love... during the last the milkshake speech? 
I guess. Yeah, I think so. that's near the end. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because right. he's like, oh, I have that other, I have that other thing. And he's like, no, dumbass, because I <laughs> yeah. put the thing underneath in the thing. And All that's right. I mean, I, I, that's a terrible Daniel Day Lewis impression. Apparently, <laughs> it's decent. Uh, Blake Feely says, did a can't be a love hate double feature last weekend. I watched, so I married an axe murderer, and I wasn't a fan. Oh no. Watched the terminal, and I loved it. <laughs> How does one not love so I married an axe murderer? It's too Canadian. No. <laughs> Yeah, we yeah we have a martial art in Scotland. It's called "fuck you." It's mostly <laughs> kicking people when they're on the ground. It's one of the greatest lines in a movie ever. God, oh, you know what? All films are subjective, yeah. man. If it didn't work for you, it didn't work for you. But God, I love so. You don't get Shrek if you don't get that movie. It's true. No, no, yeah. it really is yeah. absolutely true. All right, what's next? Afreem says, "I'm with you, John. Secret Wars will come out, and Feige will finally rest and watch the sun rise on a grateful universe." Yeah, I've been saying, listen, I've been saying for a while now that I think Kevin Feige has a date circled on his calendar that he leaves. He's accomplished everything. He's got, I think the dude is just too creative. He's got more mountains to climb. And I think by doing so, he's only going to increase his legendary status. Cause like, I, I mean, I always bring things back to a sports knowledge, but in, follow me here. When you had, uh, why am I freezing on? I just suddenly freezing on just the name. Just ask us to follow you. <laughs> no, the coach of uh, the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers. Uh, Pat Riley? Jackson. Pat Riley, yeah. No, no, also the Chicago Bulls. Oh, Chicago. Well, well who you say, right? Phil Jackson. Yeah, Phil Jackson. Oh. When Phil Jackson was winning titles with Michael Jordan and he won a bunch of rings, iconic. When he got to another team and won another bunch of rings, legendary. Look, Theo Epstein. Yeah, Theo Epstein. Yep. You know, when be, baseball, yeah. But he took the Red Sox to a championship, he took the Cubs to a championship, right? So yep. it's like, can, can Kevin Feige do that? Like, what do you think he would do? Do you think Kevin Feige would, would I think he'd have to run a studio, not a production. I company. agree. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. Have you been watching The Dynasty on Hulu? I, I finally watched one episode of it with Ann. It's pretty good, day. right? That, it's, I, I didn't think anything could, I, I, I thought to myself, why would I watch that when I've seen Showtime or a Right, time? right, right, same and here. And time so good. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm not even a big Lakers fan, yeah. but it's it's fantastic. Very bust, man. All right. <laughs> What's next? Chef Rigo. Chef Rigo. Speaking of Snyder, after Batman v Superman came out, I learned to never assume a movie is going to be great based off a fantastic trailer. Laugh out loud. Listen, the Batman, I still remember at Comic-Con when they dropped that first Batman versus Superman trailer. That is seriously, without any hyperbole, one of the best trailers, not just of comic books I've ever seen. It's one of the best trailers I've ever seen. I got my blood was pumping the, the hair on my arm was standing up. I got goosebumps. It was insane. Now, listen, I will defend Batman versus Superman. I like that movie, but I mean, I, I understand it wasn't for everybody. Especially the ultimate cut. Ultimate cuts. I, much better. I, 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 yeah, I, the ultimate cut was all right, but I, I just think in general, the movie was really quite good. I, I don't think it's a, a top 10 comic book movie of all time or anything, but I still like that one, but you're right, man. Trailers, we've seen tons of terrible trailers to great movies and tons of great trailers to terrible movies. So, my favorite trailer is still to Cloud Atlas, but the movie it did not translate oh, to the movie. The trailer of Cloud Atlas is fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, all right, what's next? I love that movie. Casey Max says, I just want to ask Rob if he's excited for the show that he loves to hate coming back November 4th because that's what Netflix has said for manifest release date. <laughs> Ask me if I'm excited. Hell yes, I am. I can't even believe it exists. Hashtag save manifest. They did. God bless Netflix. It's going to be broken to two parts. I can't believe such glorious gobbledygook is still on the air. Okay. I'm so glad you're happy. Brian. Brian. Next. 
Chris, happy Chris is Bryan terrifying. Said, <laughs> sorry. Chris Bryant says, Christian, the old man was a pleasant surprise. I had no exceptions or I had no expectations and was blown away with the characters and writing for season two. Can't come soon enough. Why isn't anyone talking about this show? Oh, that's a great question, man. Jonathan Lithgow, Jeff Bridges, and I've never seen a single episode yet. Dude, the first two are directed by John Watts. Oh, that's right, yeah. It is so good. But what you have to take under consideration, this is for anybody who's going to watch that show, is that around, I think, like halfway through it is when Jeff Bridges was diagnosed with cancer, and, and, he, and they, the show ends abruptly, and you can tell that it ends abruptly. But it's really good. Some people think it's a little slow. I don't. I was. I'm pretty invested. The first two episodes, though, will kick your ass. It is so. It is so good. Jeff Bridges is fantastic. Um, him and and Lithgow, they have like younger versions of them, which the actors do a really good job. Mm. I highly recommend the show. I think you would really enjoy. I, it looks this show. good it's to me. Seven yeah. episodes, seven or eight episodes for the first season, and then they're going to. That's a Hulu back. show, right? It's a Hulu show. Yeah. All right. Great. Gotta check it out. What's next? Amin says, what do you think we will see first? A feature-length Star Wars film exclusively for Disney Plus or a feature-length Marvel film exclusively for Disney Plus? I think given the current pattern, my guess would be a full-length Marvel film for Disney Plus. But that is that's a very good question. It is a very good I, what question. do you think? I'm crossing my fingers here. And this is I want to throw this out in the universe because I keep saying it because I hope it'll it'll happen and it won't. Um so as you, we've talked about this many times over, the, the um, Thrawn trilogy that's come out of the Heir to the oh Empire. My God. There's been little hints of Heir to the Empire through Thrawn being introduced and then Ahsoka and Luke talking to themselves like, will I see you again? Like that type of thing. And now with the Ahsoka series and setting Thrawn up. In my head, I'm hoping that this all leads to like that Crisis on Infinite Earth thing for Star Wars where it's the Heir to the Empire movie that they put on Disney+. Plus. Do I think that'll happen? No, but I keep saying it because I hope that it does, because I think Star Wars, out of the little shared universe that they're setting up on TV, is the most poised to do a, a movie, because everything in Marvel leads to the movie theater. Right. Star Wars right now, they don't know what they're doing with the movies. They still don't. Is Taika movie coming out? It's not coming out. Star Wars has the best shot of doing it, if Dude, it's going to do it. It's going to be Star they Wars. They could do the whole Heir to the Empire and the Dark Empire yes, trilogy yes. all at once. Now, thing. of course, it would be... A very different looking heir to the empire yes. series, yeah. but but much like Civil War, the movie was very very different looking from Civil War the comic. Right. It would have to look very very different because of yep. canon. But I mean, listen, bringing Thrawn in, like when she when when Ahsoka says in Mandalorian season two, "Where's Thrawn?" It's like okay, yeah, business is about to pick up. This this is good. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what they do with that. All right, what's next? Murray Reich says a few movies I've recently seen. One, Emily the Criminal, very good. I want to see that. Aubrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza was phenomenal. Two, Fall, terrible dialogue, but got me at the edge of my seat. Three, Breaking was good, and John Boyega gave a very good performance. And by the way, Murray, uh, uh, super chatting at $20. Thank you so much for supporting us on that level, man. That's incredibly generous of you. Thanks for that. Um, bring up the question again there just for a second. I just want to see that last thing about uh, Emily again. the Criminal. I have been, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole for about 20 minutes the other day of watching Aubrey Plaza's interviews on YouTube about the new movie. What I am totally overwhelmed by is how she is totally April Ludgate from Parks and Rec. Like she, <laughs> she is, she just brought herself, so much of herself into that character. And hearing her answer questions, she goes, okay, I, I can't remember if she was at BuzzFeed or or Vanity Fair on the K. I'm answering viewer questions. I'm anticipating a lot of people wanting for my feet to be in their face and stuff, weird things, or me punching them. But whatever, let's go. And sure enough, like two questions in, so I'm gonna, like, would you, Aubrey, would you please punch me in my face? I would love if you punch me. The in my trailer face. looks really good for that movie. 
Yeah, it does. It looks yeah. really good. And she looks really good in it. All right, so. what's next? Seconds from Disaster says, if Snyder put his whole complete story into that four hours instead of his own version of what already came out, do you think fans still would have demanded more? Let me, to get, let, me, let me read that again. If Snyder put his whole complete story into that four hours instead of his own version, is his own version not his own story? I'm not quite sure. They, they the didn't question. finish the whole dark side. There was, oh, was going to be just so they, oh, completed they put that it. whole yeah, thing yeah. into it. that one four-hour epic. Um, and then what was the what was the the way the question would, ended? Would would fans still be wanting more of this of the Snyderverse? That all depends on whether the second part was crap or not. I mean, I mean, I it, I don't know. The problem it was never shot. Yeah, I mean, it was right. it you was know, never but, shot. So it, they couldn't yeah. it, I, the, even his whole his own concept of it was never fully fleshed right. out yet. Yeah. He said he's so. saying hypothetically though at this point, hypothetically, like for yeah. I, I mean, look, winning cures everything. If it was great, then people would be wanting more. There's no such thing as having. Listen, the Orville, just season four, just in. This is a much smaller Three. scale, but it's just as an example. Okay, the principle is there. The Orville season four just ended, right? It was, or uh, season three. Yeah, season three. Season three just ended. And it is the best season the show's had. And the final episode, while not very strong, it is a definitive series ending. Yes. The, the, the final episode of season three is easily a series finale. Best season yet, but it ends definitively. But because it's the best season yet, I've already seen tons of videos on YouTube about save Orville for season four, bring back more. Winning cures everything. Quality makes people want to come back for more. So yeah, I think if they had put his whole and jammed his whole story into that four hours, if it was received as well, I think people would still be wanting more. Yeah. All right, what's next? Jay Masters says, over or under 5%, Celine Dion and Hugh Jackman coming out singing Ashes <laughs> as the lights turn on for Deadpool 3 updates at D23. It would be the greatest thing of all time. If, like, listen, it, first of all, Ashes should have been nominated, without joking, Ashes should have been nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. It's great. It fits the movie perfectly. It's marvelous. If you haven't seen the music video for Ashes, it's amazing. It's a fantastic, fantastic video. But in the music video, Celine Dion is singing Ashes, and a clearly and obviously female dancer in a very tight dead suit body, dead, Deadpool bodysuit comes out dancing ballet behind Celine Dion as she's singing the song. If you did something like that, because me and Chris were joking about this on the show, you open D23 to the lights down and they come up and there's Celine Dion on stage. She sings Ashes. And somebody in a Deadpool costume comes out and dances a little bit, but then takes the mask off and it's Hugh Jackman, who is a dancer. And they together announce Deadpool 3. It would break the world. I think it would absolutely break the world. Worse it's than World Breaker Hulk? Worse than World yeah. Breaker Hulk. It's not going to happen. There's going to be a lot of cast there, though, man. There's going to be a lot it of is. cast. And it's the question is, as we just mentioned, Fantastic Four, whether it's going to be, I think Deadpool will definitely be announced. Um, yeah, there's going to be, but the question is, inside of that, when is it going to be that traditional, here's the cast we're introducing you to, or is it going to be big reveals like that? Because they do that stuff, whether it's like, and not even necessarily the reveal, but look at something at Celebration with John Williams. John Williams does the, the yeah. theme song to Obi-Wan. And, and like, well, they're going to do stuff like that because I talk about it all the time in the animation panel at D23 in like 2012 or whatever it was when Frozen was coming out. They said, hey, we're going to, we want to, we're really confident in this song and we're going to bring out Adina Menzel. And she's going to sing the song. She sang Let It Go for the first time for anybody at D23. Moments like that will happen. 
a moment that you're pitching it would be phenomenal. By the way, because of that Frozen thing, they did that again for Frozen 2 at the last E23, yes, they where did. they had the whole cast come out yes. and sing like the new big song that was in that. So yeah. I, they could. Yeah. I don't think they will, but God, it would be great if they did. All right, what's next? Uh, Anubis Genocide says, Hi, John and crew. Have you seen the new Honest trailer for Top Gun Maverick? Laugh out loud. The mission in Maverick is totally the Death Star Trench run. As a major Star Wars fan, how did I miss this connection? Don't know. I don't know anybody that missed that connection. I mean, like, that was so clearly the, the only Death difference Star between the target run. at the end of Star Wars and at the end of Top Gun Maverick was one meter. Yep, just one yeah. meter difference. One meter at, difference. It's, uh, yeah, no, it was exactly the Star Wars Death Trench run. And that's fine. It worked. Yeah. The, the, it worked for the movie. It was thrilling. It was exciting. Star Wars was a bunch of different movies, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, yes, every movie you see is yeah. drawn influence from other places, right? So, so yeah, it was perfectly fine yeah. to work. But, yes, the similarities were absolutely there. All right, what's next? Edgar uh, Mangana, Mangana, Edgar Mangana says, will a new Mission Impossible film hit a billion dollars? That is an impossible question to ask. What the, the more realistic one we can answer is, how big do we think the opening weekend will be? Because we have things we can measure off that. Current excitement with the audience, how the marketing campaign goes, all that kind of stuff. We can make some guesses about opening weekend. Top Gun Maverick would not have made $600 million were it not good. And until we see the new movie, it's impossible to say whether it'll have legs, will people spread big word of mouth. So opening weekend, we can guess. I don't think we can guess whether they, they're a billion. Those Mission Impossible movies had not traditionally had huge opening weekends. They've never had a $100 million right. opener. I'm willing to bet it will open bigger than any other Mission Impossible movie has. I agree. I, I agree as well. And I think that the trailer already, but what, what Tom Cruise is also becoming is he's got that thing like that. Now people go to see the Jackie Chan part of him now, too, to see what he's going to do, mm -hmm. the stunts he's going to do, coming off of this billion-dollar movie as well, but also because of it's a already proven franchise. Because that doesn't always work for Tom Cruise. Like Jack yeah. Reacher or other things, too. But this the the trailer that they showed show already shows they have a lot of confidence oh in it because they showed it almost a year and a half before it comes out. I had somebody write to me and ask. They said, with the, with the success of Top Gun, it, it had just crossed, I think, $1.2 at the time. Crossed $1.2 billion. The biggest thing he's ever done. You know, honestly, do you think now Universal will go back and, and do the next Mummy movie? Oh, no. Now that Tom Cruise is really hot again? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no, it's not good. Please, no. All right, what's next? Uh, Rob McDonald says, I have finally finished binging Yellowstone in 1883, and I loved it. I'm curious who your favorite characters are. I love Casey and Rip. Rip. Rip, Rip is my favorite character and uh, his wife. His wife is the best female character on television. I'll just put it that it's just, and Rip is probably top three or four best character on television. I, it, and, and to me, it is the best thing on television right now. All due respect to Succession, which I also love deeply, but Yellowstone is the best thing on TV right now. I, and I, I just, they just dropped the teaser for the next season. I just freaked out over a 15 second teaser. I <laughs> cannot wait. Cannot wait for this to come back. All right, what's next? Uh, my vlog academia says R. Johnson recently said he's even more proud. Uh, oh, Ryan Johnson yeah. recently said he's even more proud of the Last Jedi after five years. Thoughts? He should be. Listen, every filmmaker should be proud of the films that they make, and whether a bunch of people loved it and a bunch of people didn't, and some people are a little bit in the middle, it, it does, doesn't matter. You as a filmmaker, you're an artist. You go out, you take big swings, and if you do what you set out to do, how the audience feels about it is up to them. But if you go out there and you take big swings and you kind of accomplish what you want to accomplish, you should be proud of the work that you do. So I have, listen, The Last Jedi is not in my top three, four or five favorite Star Wars films, 
But you know what? Good on him. He should be proud of it. I don't know. What do you think of that? I agree with you 100%. I, I mean, as we talked about with prequels, that's a movie to me that I find myself liking less and less when I watch it, but I didn't make the movie. I didn't make the movie. I didn't go through the trenches. I didn't work with the people. I didn't have all these things. I didn't have the attachment that Ryan Johnson has. So if he feels, you know, he looks at it and goes, I'm even more proud than I ever was. Good for him. As he's, like you said, he's the artist and it's his movie. What about the fact there are, what are there, 12 Star Wars feature films in all of human history? And there's not even 12 directors. So if you're one of those rarefied directors, you got to be proud of your work, no matter yeah. what you've made. Yeah. All right. What's I next? made a Star Wars movie. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, Jordan G said, Rob, I got my first hot toy last week. The 2099 Spider-Man. Do you have this figure? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and what Marvel hot toy do you think would pair well with 2099? Well, I'll tell you something there. I would get because we have seen Miles Morales going into the Spider-Verse with the 2099 Spider-Man. I'd get that new Miles Morales Well, figure. you and I have seen 20 minutes of the new Spider-Man into the spider What's it called? Across the Spider-Verse? Uh, across the Spider-Verse. You and I have seen 20 minutes of it. And awesome? yeah, so... It's awesome. Him, I think Spider-Man 2099 with Spider-Gwen would be a nice pairing. Yeah, or Spider-Gwen too. I mean, the thing is, that 2099 figure is pretty much gone now. And because he's in uh, Into the Spider-Verse, it's going to go up in value. It's a good figure too. All right, what's next? Uh, the Sensible Chuckle. Says, you guys, the Superhero <laughs> Squad show is my guilty pleasure show. Just hearing Thanos say, behold, the Infinity Gauntlet. Some assembly required makes me horse laugh. It was also my gateway <laughs> drug to the Marvel Universe. <laughs> what? That laugh. I don't know. What I was a horse. I was raised horse laugh. Trying to sound like <laughs> I, um... First of all, it tips in like $20. Thank you so much for that. That's really generous of you. I'm not familiar with You know, this, I will say this. The superhero squad, the way the characters are made like to be like little childish or whatever. Chibi, I guess you could call them. Chibi. I, I love that style. I remember when they had the small action figures of him. I have the Spider-Man one and the Captain America one. So I, I didn't know they a had a show. video game? I didn't know they had a show. No, it's a, like, I think I it's a show, a show on yeah, Disney. I, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah it's like they're, they're drawn as like little, like chibi, like little cute characters. But I didn't know they had a show. I only thought it was figures. So All right, and now I'm going to have to actually go look for it. I want to right. horse laugh. What's next? Uh, the Norwegian Kryptonian says, why do I feel like Warner Brothers regretting releasing Zack Snyder's Justice League is like me after a game, regretting placing a bet on the team that lost? Shine on, guys. <laughs> I get, listen, here's the thing. In, in in a world of business, there's a million factors about, you know, things that work, things that don't work, and, and a million other factors will go into whether or not you are happy you made a certain decision or regret making a certain decision. So that'll vary from person to person. But yeah, it's 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 certainly one that was going to be inflammatory, no doubt. All right, what's next? Uh, Jin the Jedi says, Warner Brothers getting bullied in, re in releasing Zack Snyder's Justice League is possibly one of the biggest embarrassments to ever happen to the company damaging them in the process. See, look, I the reason I will disagree is because hindsight is 2020. Look, right now, today, sitting in August, what is it today? August 30th? Sitting in August 30th, looking, is it August 30th? Yeah. Okay, August 30th, looking back, yeah, I can totally see and understand why Warner Brothers would regret the decision. But we have the advantage of hindsight. Because, you know, at the time, once HBO Max became a thing, you know, I was like, you know what? Now you got a place to put this yeah. Justice League thing. Even if it's unfinished, at the time I was saying, at the time, I said, hey, even if it's unfinished, I think the Snyder Cut fans would just be really happy and grateful, even if you just took it as it is, 
and put it on HBO Max saying, we have a special presentation for you. Understand, visual effects aren't done. There might be a couple of scenes missing, all this kind of stuff. But you guys wanted to see it. So here's this unfinished thing and put it up and let people see it. So when they made the decision to actually drop 70 million, I didn't think they should have spent $70 million. But still, when they made the decision to do that, because HBO Max was now a thing, I can see the rationale to making that movie and putting it out. So I don't think you become embarrassed by the decision because at the time, it looked like you were, you know, giving a gift to the fans that maybe this could generate new interest in the in the new fledgling HBO Max service. I, you can't second guess decisions based on results. You just go back and look at the information you had at hand when you made the decision and say to yourself, given that information, do I still feel good today about the decision I made? So yeah, now a lot of stuff has happened since then. And yeah, I get it why Warner Brothers might, some executives of Warner Brothers would regret that they did it, but that's with the benefit of hindsight. I think at the time it was a perfectly rational decision. I but, agree. Eh. All right, what's next? Uh, I guess Luis Barrios sends in a super chat. Oh, just to be supportive. And uh, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campy Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in the Super Chats, number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget, guys, if you would like to hear your voice on our show, we do a Mint Mobile hotline question of the day every single day so just go on over pick up your phone and call if you have a question for us 951-268-4259 and maybe you'll hear your voice on our show in an upcoming episode i also want to thank everybody sitting in the room with me of course robert meyer burnett thanks for being here robert and of course special guest today christian harloff came on out here christian where can people find you online and the stuff you're doing well thank you uh you just type in uh, christian harloff channel we just hit 53 uh subscribers on youtube trying to get to 70 by the end of the year if you can come on over and i usually drop a comment in to say thank you to john and everybody too so if you want to find me just click on that link thank you to everybody and thank john for having me back on and of course we'll see you again soon and sitting over there of course ray aura and right beside him of course producer jonathan voico my name's John Campy, guys. That'll do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.